You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. Welcome to the 1980s movie Graveyard, the show that lets forgotten movies have one last chance to shine. Now sit back and relax. Enjoy the show. Hello and happy anniversary to the 1980s movie Graveyard. That's right. Two years ago this month, uh, we started with our first show back on September 1st, 2015. We're lucky to still be kicking. Coming back triumphant in September 2017. We took a few months off to regroup, do some other things, but we are back. Once again, I am your everly faithful 1980s movie Graveyard corpse kicker grave keeper whatever you want to call me and i am joined once again by semi part-time semi full-time i guess he's part-time now because we haven't done a show in a few months but back to part-time status everybody welcome back trev 3k welcome back trev oh thanks goat great to be back and continue what seems to be a tradition of us uh picking the smaller lesser known hades films that, that is true maybe maybe deserve a little bit more love you know that is true we got a a real semi-classic coming out of 1987 tonight let's go ahead and get it started we are talking about the one the only the hello mary lou prom night two <laughs> electric boogaloo <laughs> so we're gonna get the movie rolling it's a well, yeah, it's a semi-short film yeah but we're going to it's, get it's a, the it's the right length for this kind of film. It doesn't exactly. overstay its welcome. If you're listening to this in the future, I would love to say that you're probably going to follow along with the awesome Screen Factory Blu-ray, but that has not come to the fruition yet in the year 2017. So we are rolling off some bare bones DVD bullshit. We have mm-hmm. our DVDs, our barest of bones DVDs. Uh, <laughs> pause at the 10 second mark. That's the completely black screen right after the MGM logo. Which we're just going to skip the MGM logo because I want to say that logo probably was not originally on this. I don't think when it came. Yeah, out. I don't. I don't know about that. Yeah, being a Canadian production and all that. But yeah, we have it on the black screen. Pause at the ten second mark on the DVD. I am going to say one, two, three, go. And if you're following along at home, hit play on your remote when you hear me say go. So everybody, wake up your DVD players. Wake up your PS3s, your PS4s, your Xbox Ones, your Xbox 360s, your, possibly your original Xboxes if you bought that little add-on DVD kit. So I'm going to say, is your PS3 awake? Are you entering the cheat code, Trev? What's that? Is your PS3 awake? It sounds like you're tapping the buttons furiously. Oh, no, that's not. <laughs> no, I'm all good, man. Okay. So I'm going to say one, two, three, go, and on go, we are going to hit the play buttons. Everybody, one, two, three, go. And I got my infrared remote on my regular Blu-ray DVD player to work. Did that say a Bart Another classic Simpson Peter film? Simpson. <laughs> Peter yeah. Simpson production. Okay, Peter Simpson. All right. And I got to say, uh, this was my first time watching this film in many years. I think the probably last time I watched this was the early 90s. I saw it a few times during the cable and VHS days, but I have not watched it since. I don't know how this, uh, you know, this cheap DVD eluded me. It seemed like something I probably would have bought, like, you know, around 1999 or something, but I guess I didn't. But it, it actually starts out in a 
quite a classic way. This, of course, being a sequel, but not really a sequel to Prom Night. We'll get into that in a few minutes. But uh, I actually like the way this film opens, just with, you know, the the ominous, you know, kind of low-angle-up shots at the school all closed and whatnot. Like, you think something spooky is going to go on, but it's a little bit of a misdirect, I think. It actually reminds me a lot of the kind of openings you see in, like, Italian horror films that mm. kind of start setting the scene by showing, like you said, the low angles and, you know, this the more ominous, like, architecture and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a nice classic opening. I was also, like, I hadn't watched this movie in years, and I just recently revisited it because it was kind of getting brought up a lot again in some shows I was listening to and stuff. And when it starts, the very first credit is starring Michael Ironside. Right. And right away you just feel like, ah, this is going to be good, you know? Yeah, especially um, if people don't know this. Um, I'm blanking if the original Prom Night was Canadian, but this was a Canadian production. You can tell it by watching the closing credits, you know? I believe the I believe the original was Canadian, yes. Yeah. So here we go. The amazing and you gotta say that was definitely tongue in cheek for the title choice, right? Hello Mary Lou, prom night two. It's a good title. Uh, so like we use we'll just get into it really quickly now, maybe elaborate later, but this was not originally meant to be a prom night film. It was right. actually made as a movie called The Haunting of Hamilton High. Which, which is makes a, more sense. Which does, but it's a horrible title. Right. And you wonder why, like, it's I'm a, it's kind of amazing that no one involved originally thought of Hello, Mary Lou is just a title, you know, because right. that works perfectly. But And for people who um, maybe they're not up to speed on either Prom Night or Prom Night 2, Prom Night uh, was a Jamie Lee Curtis film. And uh, we actually got some interesting Jamie Lee Curtis news today. She will be reprising her famous role from uh, Halloween. But after she did Halloween, she did all these films like Prom Night and um, Terror Train and probably probably some others. I'm trying to think. Was there a third one? She did these kind of like B-grade, B I guess, slasher movies, you know, that were kind of spawned in the wake of, uh, you know, Halloween and whatnot. Prom Night was one of them. And as you can guess, it was about a prom and a guy in a ski mask, you know, showing up to wreak havoc. Uh, completely just a slasher movie, whereas this one, and like you explained, Trev, it was not meant originally to be the sequel of any, you know, of any kind. So this film is like very supernatural, and I think it's like where the first Prom Night was clearly influenced by the um, the '70s slashers. This movie coming out in 1987 was really ape and hard the mid '80s slashers, and I would say definitely this one was influenced a lot by you know the villain and whatnot influenced a lot by uh like freddy krueger and at this time the mid to late 80s after freddy krueger came out i feel like everybody was trying to make a you know a, a, a horror movie villain with personality that could be remembered and maybe spawn sequels yeah they're clearly going for uh you know let's have our own little horror icon here put her in the title and everything so now we're actually we had a little like a prelude about a girl going to um you know, a priest and giving a confession, but now we the movie really gets in swing, and this is a prom going on in the year 1957, and I swear, like, no joking, when I was watching this other night, and, you know, I seen these characters, who you know, supposed to be high school kids, immediately, the first thing went through my mind was, the fans of this summer's uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, they would be very critical of this film, because these people... <laughs> so, 40-year-old high school <laughs> Very 40-year-old, and, yeah. uh, you know, like... It made sense to me later when I, you know, when it goes to the modern day and I saw who these characters are supposed to be representing with the modern, it made more sense then. But especially Mary Lou's date here, 
And we yeah. should say in 1957 terms, Mary Lou is like an absolute like slut. Like, like <laughs> if there if they was making porno movies back then, she would have been a, like a porno actress or whatever. But yeah, her her main date, her well, I should say her first date, the nerdy guy, and it makes sense when you feel, realize who who he grows up to be. But when I first saw this guy, I was like, why in the world for like a main role for a high school kid did they get such an old guy? You know? Yeah, he's this guy's already losing his hair. You know? Yeah. But, but as you said, they did. I I was pretty impressed with how much like he does look like Michael Ironside as he will exactly. later grow up to be. And that's really like, a, you know, and obviously if you're listening to the show, it's a commentary. Like, you've seen this movie, or maybe you have no interest of in seeing this movie. Or maybe this commentary will make you want to see the movie. But that's like a minor reveal, probably, I would say probably 30 minutes into the movie. They reveal, like, oh, mm-hmm. Michael Ironside, it was actually this guy when he was younger. And I have to say, I was going to ask you about this. Um, like, I noticed, the like, the young Michael Ironside, he has, like, that weird, like, almost like a growth, like, on the on his cheek. To match the real Michael Ironside, and I was like, "Did Michael Ironside really have that? Like, because it kind of looks like a cancer scar or something." Did Michael yeah. Ironside really have that, or did they just put that on both actors for continuity? I feel like maybe Michael Ironside does, but either way, I mean, either way, they definitely put it on one of them at least to yeah. like give you more of an indication later. We should quickly talk about too, because she won't be in the film as much as you would think. Maybe going in, uh, right. Lisa. Sh- I don't know how to say her name exactly. I think I'm going to say Shrage, maybe uh, as Mary Lou here. Um, so like you said, yeah, right in this prologue, right. we get a sense of this, this character, Mary Lou, where she goes to the priest and gives a confession and says, you know, she's been sleeping with boys and not listening mm-hmm. to her parents. And then it turns out that she's not really there to confess. She says, oh, don't get me wrong. I loved it all, you know? Right. And, uh, it, it sets the scene and I actually do find this performance to be really fun. And I think one thing that kind of comes across when I watch the film is kind of wish she was actually in it a little bit more. Yeah, like I mean, there's a, a plot device later that doesn't require this actress to be around as much. But um, I don't know. She's so fun in this opening scene that yeah, I should, I'd like to see more of her throughout this, the film. Yeah, and I gotta say, um, I mean, obviously, I understand for the demographic they're trying to sell the movie to was probably a younger audience, so they didn't want to stay. But like, I kind of think maybe it's the time period or whatever it is. But like, I kind of wish this opening 1950s prologue was a little bit longer like i almost kind of wish like it could have been almost like half and half like the first half of the movie took place in the 50s the second half almost like a stephen king's it type thing somehow because like i i feel like they rushed to get this over with and then when we get into the supernatural kind of haunting aspects of the you know that takes place in modern day i feel like the characters were actually or definitely the mary lou character like you said like i think she was maybe a little more interesting than just like the ghost version of her if you know what i mean yeah well yeah i, I think one of the pro- like one of the problems with the intro being so short is that you don't really know how to feel about mary lou as a right. villain later like are we supposed to hate her from the beginning or are we supposed to feel like she you know really got screwed over here and is a right. tragic victim because basically what happens uh for people not following along is um like I said, her first date, the nerdy guy who grows up to be Michael Ironside, like, he goes to get some punch, and he comes back, and she's gone, and he catches her, like, backstage or whatever in the hall, you know, back hallway of the school, and, like, she's, like, pretty much giving a hand job to some other guy, but it's an intimated that they're going to go ahead and have sex, and obviously this guy, you know, the nerdy guy, he's very, um, I don't know, I guess to borrow a modern... <laughs> political term he's cuckolded in a way Mm -hmm. and he takes very offense to that so what he does is 
he sees some guys playing with some fireworks, and uh, they said it was a stink bomb, but I don't know. It kind of reacts differently. So he crawls into the catwalk. So when Mary Lou wins, you know, prom queen, which is kind of weird that like the sluttiest girl in school won prom queen, but I don't know. So this young Michael Ironside, he's in the catwalks, and he's going to throw this like firecracker down on her. And I guess the idea is like, you know, if it's a stink bomb, like all this stink's going to come out, all this smoke's going, it's going to ruin the moment for her. But, uh, and I kind of did find this believable, and I'm curious to get your opinion on this, because, like, I, I actually do believe that, you know, her dress, because basically what happens is the stink bomb makes her dress catch on fire, but I kind of believe it, because if you ever see them old prom-type dresses from back in, they seem, like, really, like, flammable, kind of, like, nylon polyester from, like, the 50s and 60s. They're probably made of, like, asbestos, you yeah, know? Yeah, <laughs> asbestos lining, that's, like, an extra feature. <laughs> I mean, This she, is a great fire stunt, too, and I was... yeah. Yeah, I was reading that at the time, this was like the longest fire stunt that had been on film. Um, I've obviously beat later by, I believe, Kane Hodder for uh, Friday the 13th. But uh, it's a good way. It looks good. It looks really good. And then, obviously, the other guy, well, actually, both guys, because the Michael Ironside guy, you know, he didn't mean for anybody to get, obviously, burned up. And obviously, she's, she's dying like it's that bad of a burn. I mean, she's completely engulfed in flames. But I got I to gotta ask you, Trev, like, you know, once we see her die, we see this, like... I don't know, like in the bowels of the school in a storage room, there's like um like an old suitcase, really more than a suitcase, more like a wardrobe type thing, but like it kind of closes up and like we're supposed to believe that like somehow her ghost went in there. And, and like yeah. I, I would like, you know, usually these movies like, you know, the supernatural hooey, the rules or whatever paid loose, but like I really, especially like when I'm watching this again, like it makes sense when later she, the ghost comes out, but that moment where like the ghost went in, I suppose, like I didn't really understand it at all the first when I first saw it the other day. Yeah, it's weird. Like for a film that, in a lot of other ways, is that is the kind of typical '80s dumb supernatural teen movie, uh, which I don't mean in a negative way, no, but like fine. that's like that whole thing with the trunk and showing it open and then showing it closed when she dies is like it's kind of weird, like esoteric and like art filmy because yeah. it's really requiring you to think about what is happening here. Yeah, and, so, and, and there's like a skull, which I would guess would be like a prop skull from a play, play or something, high school play. And it's, yeah, it's, like it's York it's, skull. Yeah, yeah. It's like sitting a couple feet in front. It just was very weird and confusing. Like, I would almost prefer if, like, they didn't have that moment, but then later they showed just like, it was just like a suitcase there. And maybe, like, you know, because you know how, like, luggage has, like, your tag with your name on it and shit? Like, I could have totally bought that, like, you know, somehow there was, like, her whatever suitcase in there that had like her name with the tag on it like to me that would have been a lot simpler than like that well, i feel like the 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 movie was looking for an easy way to have her spirit unleashed later and i feel yeah. like it was missing its own like i mean when you like i saw her, now we're to the modern day and we meet our our heroine um played by windy lion her character's name is vicky Right. And we'll find out later that she's dating a guy who has a connection to the the Mary Lou story. Right. And I feel like there might have been an easier way to kind of get to that unleashing the spirit without having to do the trunk thing. But, hey, you know, I didn't write this, so. Yeah, and, and, and getting back to um, kind of, uh, you know, this is a very fun movie, and I'm not really critical of it at all. But it just, it, I, the setup kind of like, I don't know, was a little lackluster to me. Once you get towards the middle part of the film on, it's it's a rip-roaring ride. But... I kind of wish they would have, like, like I said before, maybe spent more time in 1957 and kind of intimated more that the reason she was such a bad apple was maybe she was possessed already. 
I think mm-hmm. I think there could have been like a little more fun with that. Like not full blown powers, but just, you know, the fact that she was like the bad seed or whatever. And like that to me that would kind of explain why she would, you know, cuz like really like the way the movie plays it is that she's some slut who just comes back because she got burned up, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas, like, Freddy Krueger was a child molester who came back. So, like, you could see his soul being more evil to begin with. But It's interesting. You mentioned Stephen King earlier and was thinking, too, about how you said this film is, like, clearly influenced by Nightmare on Elm Street. But obviously, set up with that prom scene at the beginning, what happens to Mary Lou. Right. You know, we definitely see – I think – and this isn't the only film to do this, especially around this time. But I think a lot of filmmakers were kind of curious and like saying, well, there's never going to be an actual Carrie sequel. Uh, well, little did they know there would be eventually. But, exactly. you know, I think a lot of people are interested in the idea of like Carrie as a slasher or Carrie as like a, a continuing character and just doing their own version of it. And I think we see other Stephen King influences here with Vicky's, you know, super religious mom. Um, so I think there's a lot of that here from the writers. Yeah, and, and it's kind of funny, and almost in a way, I prefer that they went back to doing this. Like, back then, instead of, you know, obviously, two because they didn't have the rights. But back then, they would do more of, a, like, a very similar, unrelated movie than they would just a straight-up remake the way they do now. And obviously, they do the remake now for the name value or whatever. But I like the era a little better, where it was just like, let's just rip this shit off, you know? Yeah. I mean, it kind of led to more fun movies, I'd say. Well, and speaking of that, in talking about you know our discussions about finding a film to do and picking this one, I discovered that you and I share a a love of um, kind of in name only horror franchises, which right. is something that I definitely miss, and that this is a great representation of. You know, there's four prom night films, only two and three. Only three is like a direct sequel to the one before it. The rest are just kind of all these you know separate things. Um, then we also, of course, have another like another famous one, is Silent Night, Deadly Night. Which you know goes yeah, off and just has its own kind of unrelated tales. I would even consider the Howling to be in there. Oh, um, by you know, far. I mean, there's, there's the yeah, common yeah. thread of the werewolf, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely, this is kind of the part of the movie where we're just in, introduced to all the new modern day teens. So you have the main. I don't know. It's it's. I guess she is the main girl because you know we get into what happened. But you have the main girl Vicky, and then her boyfriend Craig. And uh, Craig, I think a lot of people will notice, because like, he's a very distinctive guy, even though he was really young when he made this movie. You'll notice this guy. He was he, he, pretty much a character actor, but he's been in a lot of stuff, and he later appeared in a Saul movie. This guy, yeah. uh, he, he goes by, and this is what's interesting, too. This guy has had like a 30-year career as a character actor. He's got a real recognizable name, but he's one of those things where I think probably a lot of people recognize his face, but not his name. And it kind of tripped me up, too, because... I looked it up. He acted for almost 30 years under the name Justin Lewis, but that wasn't his real name, I guess. And like recently, he he changed and started going by the name uh, Lewis Ferreira, and I guess that was maybe one of those things. I mean, he's like a white guy, don't get me wrong, but I, maybe it's one of those things he didn't want to try to launch an acting career with an ethnic name because maybe he thought, I don't know, mm-hmm. or, or just maybe just a more generic, you know, name but to me justin lewis is like the worst stage name you could have been <laughs> yeah he's actually, he actually appears in more than one saw film right There's one that he's got a, a big role in then he kind of has smaller parts and you know a couple others right <laughs> and it's funny too because he he kind of you know 
the only person I could say he maybe resembles a little bit with his unusual features is he reminds me a little bit like of uh, Costas Mandalore, who also was yeah. in those soft films. Yeah. I'll tell you what, Vicky's friend here, man, she's going for it in terms of eighties fashion. Yeah, That's, uh, yeah, she's like she the could one. Be, look, it looks like Doctor Who or something. Yeah, yes. she's like the one character. So you have Vicky and her boyfriend Craig, and then you have like kind of like the other couple characters in here. You have her friend um, uh, played by Beverly Hendry, Monica, and then there's like a weird guy named Josh who's kind of like the weirdo of the school. And then there's like, well, he's not really the weirdo. He's like that '80s weirdo, where he like he's always wearing sunglasses in school and shit. And then you get like this other weird girl who's like, like you said, was really like rocking the '80s look. Like I'd say she's almost got the 1987 version look of like Robert Smith from The Cure. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know. She basically looks like whenever girls nowadays have like an '80s party, she right, looks like right. what they all dress up as. Yeah. Right? But but there you know I, I I don't really remember well I didn't you know really I'm trying to think I was I definitely wasn't in high school in the eighties I was in high school in the nineties but there still was some yeah. wild fashion but like in the movies they always make it seem like every high school has like a girl who's like overly stylized and artistic yeah. and whatever I I personally I didn't have that girl in my high school. If I remember correctly, too, I think we get some good 80s punks later, too, mm-hmm. which I always I, I love 80s. Like, I love 80s movie punks. Right. Because, again, it's you're looking at like old men making these movies doing what they think punks look like. Exactly. And it's kind of like it always makes me wish that's what the punk scene really had looked like. Um, but, yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of obsessed with that in films the of, of the 80s and early 90s, just the, the way the punks looked in films like Class 1984 and, you know, Savage Streets and stuff like that. I agree. It's almost like um and like the way it morphed, they went from being like in the early movies that kind of fake punks always showed up, showed up, and they were always like young kids, and then somehow like they morphed into being like criminal gangs where everybody was like a thirty-five-year-old punk. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they're always yeah, they just always look more like extras from like a Road Warrior movie, right? This is a like this is a super interesting film structurally when you're talking about the characters. I was thinking about how because earlier you said, well, I guess she is the main character, and I was thinking about that about how, you know, in a typical movie like this, Vicky would definitely become the hero of the film. But instead, I don't think it matters if we spoil this. No, this, this commentary. But later, she ends up possessed by Mary Lou. So she becomes and really spends yeah she spends a majority like a, a big chunk of the film as a villain. And then you're kind of like, well, who's the hero supposed to be? Is it Craig? But he seems kind of ineffectual. And right. it's really, you know, there's a the, near the climax of the film. I guess we're on the side of Michael Ironside. It's, it's just a very oddly structured film, but that's kind of why I like it too. But we'll, we'll get to. Um... You know, we'll get to it when we get to it, but like you said, like Michael Ironside, like it builds you up thinking he's the hero. But then at the end, like, you know, he he really goes extreme, so it's hard to even call him. Like, there's no, like, real clear-cut hero. And then, well, yeah, it's hard to call him. It's also hard to call him the hero because he's the cause of all this, too. Very you know? true, yeah. So here we have Vicky is, and I guess for whatever reason, it seems like at this point... They're doing decorations for the upcoming prom. And she goes into, like, the storage area, which is basically just a spooky basement. Well, she's, she is looking for a dress because her mom wouldn't let her go buy one. Oh, okay. That's what it was about. Like, I know she finds the dress in here, but I didn't know originally that's why she... But, yeah, so she opens this, um, you know, this haunted... <laughs> Great Photoshop there. Yeah. <laughs> she opens this haunted trunk in the in the basement of the school and... 
you know, crazy things happen, like old pictures, you know, that have Mary Lou in them around the school, they shatter, and, you know, there's, like, spooky noises, whatever. And, like, again, I just, I totally don't get the whole, and now here we are, and we're only, like, 20 minutes into the movie, here we, we get the, the revelation by a flashback from Michael Ironside, who's now the school principal, the flashback that he was the nerd who accidentally burned up Mary Lou. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just, I mean, I don't know, like, this whole kind of, like, thing is just wonky to me. The way, like, Mary Lou's spirit just, you know, and some of her, like, clothes and shit, you know, like, her TR and stuff, like, just ended up in this, you know, like, I just don't... Yeah, and did did nobody open this trunk since 1957? Right, 30 years, yeah. I don't know. But, I mean, I, you know, I really don't want to be... The fucking guy who sits here and rips apart what was supposed <laughs> Hello, to be. Hello, Mary Lou. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I don't want to rip the, the asshole out of Hello, Mary Lou. But I feel like, you know, there was silly movies back then that did the setup a little bit better, even. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it was possible. Now, we'll talk more about this later, but here we see Michael Ironside driving by a church and kind of having a brief, you know... Like yeah. this kind of stare down with this priest, and yeah. I actually think what the what like the relationship between these two characters here in the modern day is very interesting and actually pretty well done for a movie like this and unexpected. Yeah. Well, well, maybe right now because we're still kind of just showing the school and different students or whatever, setting up more and more little side characters. Uh, maybe go into that a little bit because like. You know, there is parts of this movie that get really wild, and there's, like, bizarre over the top. And there's other parts that are just legit done, like, really, like, good horror movie. And, mm-hmm. like, I, you know, like, I kind of felt, like, the jumpy weirdness of styles and tones. But there's actually a reason, maybe, why the film feels a little uneven and weird like that, isn't there? Um, I mean, you're talking about, like, the reshoots and things? Yeah. or yeah, well, as we said, like, so this film was made as to be called Haunting of Hamilton High, and eventually it was bought, and it was decided that, well, Prom Night was a huge hit. We see kind of some similarities here. Um, it even does have a same, it, it kind of stole a line from Prom Night, which ended up being a, like a, a connective factor of at the beginning in the prologue. Um, Mary Lou does say, it doesn't matter who you come to Prom with, it's who you go home with, which was a line in the original Prom Night as well. And just by happenstance, I believe the high school and prom night one is called Hamilton High. So wow. they were able to kind of say like, oh, no, this could be the same school. So they just decided to rename it Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. But they also kind of decided that um, it wasn't quite up to snuff the way it was uh, the first cut. So they did uh, ask um, a producer to come back, not the director, but uh, one of the producers uh, to come back and do some reshoots for the film. And I was reading about how uh, he actually called Wes Craven for advice because he had never directed a horror film. And he was come brought in to do these reshoots. And Wes Craven told him the quote on IMDb says, give them a scare, give them a hard on, send them home. <laughs> and, uh, wow, the master yeah. of horror, give them a hard on. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, some of, yeah, but certainly some of the more fantastical elements later uh, are part of reshoots. Uh, to kind of, like you said, bump up the the supernatural, maybe more Nightmare on Elm Street-esque qualities. Yeah, to f- maybe just fit it more in the time and the type of, I guess, villains or whatever that were populating horror movies at that time. Mm-hmm. And I guess, like, one of the... I, I, the director says that he feels that... Um, 
or not the director, the, the producer says he feels that he thinks the, thinks the name change hurt the film ultimately. But I don't know if he's kind of, I think maybe he's fooling himself that haunting yeah. of Hamilton high would have been a bigger hit than this was. Well, I, I mean, this was at least, this was successful enough to get you know two more sequels. One to kind of right. direct direct follow up as well to some degree, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little. But and I mean, it's it's hard to say because I you know this movie this was just called you know Haunting Hamilton I like I could definitely see it the the type of movie that you know would have been a little obscure, but people would have rented it, and by now maybe Screen Factory would have. Uh, you know, been putting out like, you know, or vinegar syndrome or somebody would have put it out, you know, whatever, like on a Blu-ray. But I think definitely at the time, the, uh, the audience, you know, whether it just be on, you know, movie channels and VHS at shops and whatever, I think definitely the name helped a great deal, you know, get, get an well, initial bigger audience. Yeah. I was thinking about this recently. I don't think this is talked about enough, but you know, you, with these long running horror series, obviously most of them have some pretty weak entries and you know, they're real, they're always hit and miss, but I think there's something to be said for making a film, uh, whether it gets bought and put into the franchise like this one did, or just making any entry in it. And I, I don't feel like I see directors talk about this enough, but if you make just like a kind of bad generic horror film, chances are pretty good it will be forgotten. But if you make a bad generic entry in a long running series, it doesn't even matter because you know that film's gonna live on. Because people will always do series rewatches and marathons. Right. That lives on forever. So you can make the worst Friday the thirteenth, but you're guaranteed it's always gonna be in the box sets. Right. And people are gonna get the, you know, bug up their ass to sit down and watch all of them over a week or so. Yeah. So that's kind of a good place to be to, you know, have your film be part of a, a franchise. So Prom Night Two, I mean, maybe Prom Night's not that kind of franchise, but you know, horror fans will watch any franchise. So Right. And and e- even though it wasn't like this type of situation, even though Halloween three season of the witch was meant to be you know part of the franchise or steer the franchise in original directions that's probably another one as much as we all say like oh if it was just season of the witch people would like it more but then Mm -hmm. again if it was just season of the witch probably half as many people would originally saw it so yep now i guess this is what really unleashes mary lou right so now we have the robert smith friend um yeah she finds the Mary Lou's crown from the prom uh, when she was prom queen, and she, for whatever reason, chips a jewel off of it. Yeah, and that like drives... I, I, I didn't get that at all. It was like really for no reason she chipped the jewel off of it. And Mary Lou got this, yeah. but the scene before this, like we briefly saw this girl, like literally just briefly in the hallway at the school. But the scene before this was really her introduction, where she confided to Vicky that actually, you know, some boy had gotten her pregnant, and now she's pregnant and scared and doesn't know what to do. And I like, I really found that like kind of like whatever that, you know, Mary Lou comes alive. And if this just would have been just a generic girl at the school, it would have been a fun kill. But like the whole time I'm thinking, damn, this girl's pregnant. Like mm-hmm. right in here, she gets literally hung like by the, the cake or whatever. A good sequence, too. There's a, right. a nice misdirect where you think she's going to be decapitated with a paper cutter. Mm-hmm. Instead, the uh, the rope pulls her up and hangs her from the light fixture. And I'm sure some people are disappointed we don't see the decapitation. But I right. think that's actually a cool misdirect. Well, then after she's like, I'm pretty sure she's either dead or passed out. Then Mary Lou literally just throws her out the window mm-hmm. of the school. And then she's laying dead on the school lawn and gets discovered next morning. But I thought the whole business of introducing <laughs> the fact that this girl is pregnant 
Like, I, I thought, like, oh, shit, like, this movie was, really kind of has a mean streak to it. It just occurred to me that they do then pass this off, like, the authority figures say that she committed suicide. I was just right. thinking, oh, I guess the decapitation, that would have been a little harder of a story, wouldn't it have right. been? Like, <laughs> wow, she was so distraught, she cut her own head off with a paper cutter. I don't know. That's... <laughs> yeah, I think that would be definitely classified more of as a murder-type situation. I love that he has, like, he has, like, a glamour shot of Mary Lou uh, in the right. confessional booth here at church. Yeah, now we're starting to realize that priest that Michael Ironside was looking at on the curb is clearly someone else that has a connection to this. Uh, <laughs> you know, they they still don't quite reveal who who the priest is, but you know, we, there's really you know, like we said, you have to think about it a little bit. But there's really only one other person it could have been from the early '50s segment. Well, good old. Uh... You know, Louis Ferreira here with those yeah. giant motorcycle gloves. I know. Helmet. And he's really driving like a little small bike, too. It's not like he's like told around on a Harley. He's on like a Honda or something. So, yeah, I thought this was an interesting choice, too, is they go from everybody. And you see that scene a lot in horror movies. People drive up to the school and find out either a teacher or a student's been murdered. But here they pull up. Oh, so-and-so's been killed. Then we just cut to her funeral. <laughs> they're like we got we got to speed this up a little bit yeah. and i like that uh he came to the craig came to the funeral in like a bright blue sweater right you know and once again you know he does prove that boys don't cry <laughs> i don't know about you but this part of the movie like with what was going on with vicky and all that maybe it's just similar hair similar looking girls or something but this this kind of uh started reminding me of a nightmare on elm street 5 which was actually made after this movie so it's not like they ripped that off but like somehow this reminded me of that alice girl yeah no i can see it just in looks yeah and just like the way because in in that in that movie that girl like you know all her friends gets killed i think her brother maybe gets killed too or somebody gets killed and she gets all sad and she feels all alone and yeah this girl started reminding me of that character. I think she, she, uh, Wendy Lyon here who plays Vicky, she, to me too, she kind of reminds me a little bit of like an Amy Steele. Right. Um, you know, like that kind of like cute, but not cute enough for like modern day horror right. movies, which I don't mean, I mean, like that's the problem of Hollywood, not, right. not anyone else, because she's the kind of girl who, if you went to school with this girl, probably everyone would have a crush on her. But she's oh, yeah. but she's got that more average, you know, regular girl look that we only get we only get these small kind of independent, you know, slasher productions of the eighties. Yeah. And the studios of course need like the, you know, the super hot CW girls. Yeah, and I mean I don't think there's any girls in this movie that are like, you know, you know, what they weren't trying to make an unrealistic movie and populate the high school with supermodels or anything, but like just like this kind of bitchy rich girl or whatever she is. Like, you know, these other girls they they clearly you know, dress up in a different way and whatnot to be make the other ones look more glamorous. And Vicky, I think, even though looks wise she's fine, I think they they intentionally kind of stuck her with like a a little bit of like we were saying the the Carrie like borderline mm-hmm. sissy space, like just just the homeliness. Like you know, she's not like you know the nerd of the school and made fun of or nothing, but just just in terms of definitely they want to dress her down. I think we just saw our first indication that her uh, rival, though, that bitch, the rich bitch, uh, yeah. is named Kelly Henenlotter. Right. And this is definitely one of those films that a lot of uh, we hear a lot of 
you know, Craven and Carpenter and our names that pop up. And right. this that trend hadn't become quite as annoying yet. I guess it was still a, a relatively funny idea to do that. Yeah. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I see like an independent horror film that does that, it just makes me groan every time. What would it, what would have been Hennelotter's big uh, for people we, we for you who don't know? I'm assuming that's a reference to Frank Hennelotter. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would his big movie at this time be? Basket Case would have already been out there, right? What it? Yeah, but yeah. like I don't think Brain Damage or I don't think Frankenhooker were out yet. I think Frankenhooker would have been around the same time, maybe. But. Yeah, maybe like within a year or two. Yeah, but yeah, like like this shit here. Remind me a little bit too of a Nightmare on Elm Street movie with the haunted school and the spooky hallways and all that kind of shit. <laughs> and it is, you know, I guess being an older school, whatnot, it is kind of spooky. And then we That's start. That's good. Yeah, I thought this was funny too because, like, it's kind of like the Nightmare on Elm Street thing. And obviously, she's slowly getting possessed, so Mary Lou's like messing with her mind. But all of a sudden, she imagines the hallway is like transformed and like real dirty and nasty, like almost like Escape mm. from New York type thing. And then there's just like a greasy guy in a jacket who like wants a borderline raper. I thought that was an odd choice for. Uh, well, I think the idea is that because he's you know he's like a '50s greaser, so right. it's telling us that she was going back into you know Mary Lou's time. But this goes back to what you said earlier that maybe if that was a character that we'd seen in a longer prologue, right. that would have made a little bit more sense. Yeah, and I couldn't really tell if he was supposed to be a modern, greasy sleazer or just like a 50s greaser or just what. So, I mean, it, it definitely pays off later when Mary Lou starts influencing Vicky more and she, she's mm-hmm. like, you know, being real outrageous to her. <laughs> to her parents and we'll get we'll just save that scene for when we get to it with her yeah. and her father but yeah. uh but like the like i definitely kind of feel like in a way this movie is better the second time you watch it just because like when you when you first watch it like you really like you know that like okay you know ironside was the guy and all this stuff but like these scenes like you really don't know like where it's going with the vicky character and you don't know why there's so many scenes of her like uptight ass parents and shit you know Mm-hmm. Yeah, once you can kind of accept the movie on its own terms, it, it all comes together a little better. I do. I still will say though, I think like even here, I, I mean, I, I don't want to keep harping on this because again, we're like not being overly critical for a movie I like, but I do think what would be interesting throughout this sequence is if you actually had Lisa Schrage kind of showing up as Mary Lou, kind right. of you know, you know, in the mirror or whatever, you right. know, kind of in, like talking to her and influencing her, and you know, being a little bit more the devil on the shoulder kind of character. Yeah, like, you know, sometimes weird things happen. I Like, I've done videos and stuff of old movies where I actually had, like, the directors contact me and shit. So, like, you never know. If anybody is a friend of Lisa Strange, <laughs> let her know. We wish she was in this movie more. Yeah, well, I also just wish that she was in more stuff in general. Because, right. like, it's, it's limited screen time, but... um. I don't know. She has a she has a presence to me that seems like I'm surprised she didn't get more horror work after this because this genre, you know, if one thing, it's it's pretty loyal to, you know, the smallest kind of celebrity in that world. You, you, I'm just surprised we don't see her pop up more often. She was, uh, I know she's a featured role in Food of the Gods too after this, but as far as I could tell, those were her only two kind of horror credits. Yeah, when 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 she's on the screen, like she really commands it. I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, arguably other than um, 
you know, Ironside, who everybody knows how great Ironside is. But I mean, other than him, I think she definitely has the uh, the most, you know, presence in this movie. Yeah. And I'm not privy to uh, I mean, we can say it now that so there is a there is a prom night three, the last kiss that right. continues the Mary Lou story. And she does not return as Mary yeah. Lou. Um, that one is played by uh, an actress named Courtney Taylor, who I guess the most notable thing about her is that she looks almost exactly like Sherilyn Fenn. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I actually looked that up when I was like, oh, I can't wait to see the next one. And then I saw uh, like it bummed me out that Lisa Schrag wasn't in it, but then it struck me like, wow, that girl really looks like Sherilyn Finn. It's weird. yeah, and I'm not, and I'm not sure. Like, so obviously we don't know what the story is, and there's no special editions of these to kind of give us some backstory. Maybe somebody there will be, but I wonder if she was invited back or because Prom Night Three is actually way more of a horror comedy. Um, I mean, emphasis on comedy. Actually, yeah. maybe they just wanted to go in a different direction. And at first, like, because I, I watched both recently, and I was kind of bummed. But I'm I'm one of those I'm a weirdo, and that I actually kind of did like Prom Night Three, even though it's definitely a huge step down from this one, right? In terms of quality, but it made me think like what might have been interesting then is if they if it had been more of a hit and you kept going and you really wanted to make this like a, a an interesting slasher character, thinking like maybe you could have just had a different girl play Mary Lou every time, and I thought that would have been kind of a fun thing. But yeah, I don't know. We ended up only getting. We only end up getting two, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, like, like it's, it's weird. I mean, um, the only thing I can think of is maybe it was like a scheduling thing. Because Lisa Schrag, according to IMDb, you know, she's from um, Canada and all that. Maybe they just filmed the other one somewhere else. I'm not sure. No, no, it was Canadian. Because okay. the third one's made by uh, some of the, like, the same people made it. Um, so, because Lisa Schrag did went did like go on to do like more roles and shit, mm-hmm. like you know in the in, like she was somewhat busy, but a lot of them were smaller roles. So I mean, I don't think it would have been a money thing or just or just maybe she just like wanted to do other shit. I mean, yeah, know. I mean she could have just said no too. Yeah, or maybe she, you know like we're not maybe we're not giving her any credit. Maybe she right. didn't like the idea of it being a comedy. Maybe she's right. like, hey, you know, I just mine was a kind of a serious horror film, so. Yeah, I could definitely see that with the tone shift. Maybe she, maybe she got to read the script and was like, "Yeah, fuck this." But that one, but you have you said you haven't watched it recently. I will say, Courtney Taylor's given much more screen time. Like she right. really is allowed to sink into Mary Lou, and that's why that's the the third one even more so to me feels like they're trying to make Mary Lou into this kind of Freddy Krueger character that can go on and on. Which this is cool. I like this. Yeah, the the visions that she has are cool. Like she kind of sees like a bunch of like zombie volleyball girl players. So, just, so she backs up in the volleyball net, which then turns turns into like a giant greasy like spider web. Mm-hmm. And I gotta say, I really like uh, you know while a lot of this shit's going on, it you know it keeps kind of cutting back to Ironside, and Ironside was really bringing like I guess to me he was like the dramatic anchor of the movie for sure. For sure, yeah. Because, it, it, I mean, like, as cool as these, like, you know, fantasy sequences are or whatever, where, where Vicky's being haunted, like, the middle chunk of the movie, they're, you know, because it's, it's just basically her, you know, slowly getting taken over. There wasn't, like, a lot of, um, you know, there wasn't a lot going on with the narrative. It was just, you know, and, like, like uh, Ironside here, I thought, like, he was bringing more of the character performance. Yeah, I mean, what is, I mean, it's, I don't know where Ironside's career was at this point, how known he was, but no matter what, he's definitely a score for this film. Right. Like, I was thinking about that, and, like, this is still, when you know, especially when they shot this, probably, because, like, like we said, it was meant to be something else, and whatever. 
like when they shot this, you know, this this is still like almost a full ten years before Starship Troopers. Mm, yeah. And like I remember seeing Ironside and Starship Troopers, and like I knew exactly who he was and seen him in tons of shit and loved him in the you know V and all that. But I remember like going to see Starship Troopers and being like, "Holy shit!" Like Ironside's in this big of a movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think at this point he would most be known for Scanners, right? Oh uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, and maybe in like you know, uh, hardcore visiting hours fans, maybe. Right. I mean, in scan. Honestly, like people kind of forget this, but like Scanners was. It was to me it seemed like a movie that definitely grew in popularity like the oh, ten yeah. years after it came out. So like just in terms of actual exposure, like what people would know from maybe V, because V was a huge like miniseries mm-hmm. and then spin off TV show. But he definitely worked like nonstop. And I will say, like story wise, like this is kind of good because you know we've had like you know, it, obviously it wasn't this priest, it was a different priest in 1957, but we saw Mary Lou taunting the priest back then, you know, just, you know, cackling with her evilness about how slutty she is, and I thought this was a nice turn here to have uh, Vicky, you know, because she comes from a religious fa- family and all that, actually go to the priest, and, you know, it's kind of like a good juxtaposition of the bad girl and the good girl kind of playing out the same scene in different ways. Mm-hmm. And then obviously when Mary Lou takes over, then then that whole th- kind of circle gets completed. So definitely, like, I don't know if we come out and said or not, but, but the priest now was Vicky's second date. Uh, mm-hmm. Who, Buddy. like, pretty much was, like, I wouldn't even go as far to say he was a bully, but he seemed like a pretty wild guy getting drunk at the prom and shit. And then, yeah, and well, he definitely had no problem stealing her away from her date right. either, you know, but... But what I find interesting, so we, but I like the idea that, you know, it's these two men who are clearly haunted by what happened. Right. And what's even more interesting is the fact that later we'll find out that, I, I guess you wouldn't call them friends, but maybe because of the shared, you know, they both like the same girl. She both died. It seems like they kind of made amends with each other later in life. And, right. you it's, know, it's like they were bonded together by that experience, yeah. you know, which I mean, I like. Because honestly, when I watched this the other night, I mean, obviously, you know, all the supernatural hooey, it's great, the special effects, it's fun. But, like, yeah, it was really, like I said before, it was really Ironside bringing the drama. And, like, you know, unfortunately, the priest doesn't give a, get a lot of screen time. But, I, I like, in a weird way, I kind of would have liked it if the the end of the movie was the priest and Ironside teaming up to try yeah, to take that's yeah, I think it's it's very interesting and very tempting, and I think nine times out of ten, if someone made this movie, you'd want you would have the priest, you know, still hate Ironside and blame him right. for Mary Lou's death. And I think it's interesting that instead, it seems like he understands that the whole reason the guy dropped the smoke or the stink bomb was because of what he did. So he sees his part in it as well, right. and it caused him to actually atone and become a priest. Exactly. And holds no ill will towards Michael Ironside's character. Now we have to talk about this. Yeah, we do. This is very weird. Now we're getting into the full-on possession attacking. Uh, Vicky, first of all, she has like a legit full-sized merry-go-round horse in her bedroom for some reason. (laughs) And it starts coming to life. And they kind of milk this prop that they build, I guess, throughout the movie. Well, I mean, I guess you should, right? You put the money into it. So it looks like a wooden horse, but then it starts coming alive and has like a nasty tongue that comes out. And it's a great prop. I mean, I'm not, you know... But then there, you know, there was just that scene where she, like, she got, like, I guess, trapped under the covers in her bed, 
and then mm-hmm. it looked like um like hands were underneath her. And what I thought the gimmick was was I thought they were putting like the prom dress on her. But then, oh. when, then when she got out, it just turns out there was just a bunch of hands underneath the bed groping her. Like right? <laughs> yeah, I think I just took it as like Mary Lou groping her, but yeah. So so now like and like I don't know why, but this thing with the merry-go-round horse kind of being possessed and alive and nasty. I don't know if this was a ripoff because I mean, granted, this would have only been five years after this other movie came out, but like I really like like really heavily felt this was influenced by the clown coming alive and Poltergeist. Did you get that feeling at all? Well, now that you said it now, that's all I'm going to think, but it hadn't really occurred to me. Yeah, like, just, uh, I don't know. And obviously, I think Poltergeist did it way better, but, you know, that's kind of was my first thing. And obviously, if you're starting to get haunted by a spirit, and you actually kind of know who the spirit is, like, the best thing you want to do is, like, go to that that person's grave right yeah and also you need to go at night that's the key and if you're going to be in a graveyard at night what's what's it going to be like there's going to be mist on the ground insane amount of mist it's um it's going to be like the the moonlight is going to shine directly on the tombstone of the grave you're going to visit (laughs) no other tombstones (laughs) just that one i do believe that's the same tombstone we see in uh prom night three so that's a returning yeah. character at maybe, least yeah maybe they kept it. somebody held on to the prop you know and i will give credit here because they do a nice kind of like it's a jump scare but not like a jump scare with a loud noise or anything but like when she's she's just like transfixed on the tombstone and then all of a sudden somebody comes up next to her and it's the priest just mm-hmm. that little camera moving like there i don't know why that really reminded me of like a good kind of italian horror fulci s type like little stinger type thing I like that. Now, and uh, interesting enough, since there's a little bit of a lull here, we can talk about uh, Prom Night 4 does not continue the Mary Lou story. However, it starts with we see two characters leave the prom, the 1957 prom, shortly before Mary Lou's uh, fiery death. Really? And uh, are, are then murdered out in the parking lot in their car. And uh, then the story kind of jumps forward and we find out that it's this whole thing with the, the murder has come back and it's now it's a modern day slasher. But I thought that that connection was kind of interesting. In retrospect, it makes you wonder why no one in talking about the Mary Lou thing in this one goes. Also, remember that those two people were killed out in their car that same night. But right. whatever. Right. You know. But yeah, so all four prom nights do take place at the same school. Oh, wow. um, just only two are of a connective villain. But I think I actually, I actually kind of like that idea. I wish they could have kept pushing that to get to like prom night 12 and be like, Jesus, this school has problems with prom, you know? Well, technically, yeah, four, four actually never seen. I've I seen the second one a couple of times because like the the picture of her and the burn, the de- demon-esque burn makeup, like that shit was all over Fangoria. So like... This movie was high on my radar for a few years. And then three, I think I maybe only saw once, but I definitely never saw four. But then there was, I guess technically, maybe, depends on how horror fans view it, but maybe there was a fifth film with a just a movie called prom night and that and like but it was like a super loose remake right and it was like yeah it was PG-13. it was it was part of that like remake boom yeah but it was one of those ones that was definitely like a name only um, right. because it's it's not the remake it could have just been prom night five right. yeah or 
Um, and that's, I mean, that was maybe the right call to take. I don't know, because I, the, to me, it was like, oh, are they just going to try and get this franchise going again under a different thing? But yeah, I don't that, know. Nobody saw it. so. <laughs> well, it did, like, initially well, I think, at the box office. But then it just got forgotten, like, really quick. And uh, I tried to watch it, actually, a couple times um, through either streaming or cable. And I could never get through it. And it's basically about Jonathan Sheck is a teacher obsessed with, like, a hot student. And, like, uh, he tries the banger, I guess, but then, you know, she get, he, she tells on him, and he gets kicked out and disappears. And then at the prom, like, the next year, he shows up, and, you know, well, he, well people are being killed, and then it's it turns out to be him. And But it's a very PG... It's ironic, too, because I don't know if you ever heard this, Trev, but uh, if I have my facts right, the original prom night, you know, the people just made the movie, whatever, they wanted to make an R-rated slasher. But then they got a PG rating, so then they went back and reshot some the gore to get it up to an R rating. And I just found it ironic that then the remake of it would be intentionally PG, you know, mm-hmm. well PG thirteen, but you know, yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Shows the signs of the times, you know, of the early two yeah. thousands versus the late seventies. But the one nice thing about the remake being its own complete thing is it's it it does kind of tie into what we were saying earlier, our love of. Uh, in name only you know franchises so although watching this recently i was struck and thinking like man i wish when they had tried to bring it back instead of just doing that you know jonathan sheck in name only remake i wish they would have tried to get the mary lou thing going again yeah and like i mean i don't i don't know all the facts behind it but i wouldn't be surprised if that jonathan sheck movie was similar to this film in that it was filmed under a different title and then had it slapped on but i don't know that for sure Probably more likely something similar. It was probably a pre a pre existing script, and then right. remakes remakes took off, and they said, "Well, let's just call this a prom night remake." Right. But yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I mean, I don't know. It just it, it just it's it's very unfortunate sometimes when they use the name and then they put it on something you know a classic name, I should say, and they put it on something so forgettable. Well, maybe they felt like I don't know. It's, this is an interesting one, right? Because even though we're talking about a, a franchise at this point that has five films, I don't think like the first prom night is that beloved of a slasher. It's really not. Um, no. In, in fact, remember how shitty all like the early DVD releases were until Don mm-hmm. May, I think it was, put a good yeah. version out finally. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember that was a big deal when like the Don May version. And uh, we'll talk about Don May at the, once the movie's over. We'll spend a couple minutes. We need to get into some Don May talk a little bit. But yeah, here we have, you know, in the modern day, it seems like they're really coming to blows, like, with what's happening here. We have Ironside and the priest character, and, like, they're really coming, you know. And what I thought was, like, a great misdirect on this, Trev, is because, you know, these movies, generally, they really set up the rules of the villain and what the villain can and can't do and whatnot. The priest here actually says he's safe because he's a holy man. And I found mm-hmm. that actually really great the way they kind of flipped that later. <laughs> and it's really weird, too, because you have Justin Lewis just like not even working on his motorcycle. He just kind of was like rubbing on his motorcycle outside. <laughs> like just fake And then, and then apparently down. once the priest went in to talk to his dad, he just stood there looking at the house, wondering yeah. what was going on for that entire time. Just so he could see the priest like storm out and be like, well, dad, what happened? <laughs> One thing I will say for this movie 
is, um, you know, with the neighborhoods and stuff that they shot it in here. For a Canadian movie, it doesn't really look like it. At least I don't think. Like, I don't know how much they were or weren't trying to disguise the fact that it was a Canadian movie. But back then, like, a lot of movies shot in Canada and try to always pass off the U.S. But I think this one actually did a pretty good job. Yeah. I don't know. There's there is something to there is something about it. Maybe it's just Ironside being in it that to, to, to me makes it feel a little right. Canadian. But I mean, to, but yeah. I also feel like when I watch horror films from this period, and especially like the smaller ones, you can tell were independent productions. There's like a part of my brain that is just like always eighty percent sure it's a Canadian film. Right. Like like I'd say in terms of like the look and whatnot, and obviously they're like way different locales because this other movie was clearly shot in California, but. But in terms of, like you said, the independent production and the type of actors they chose, this kind of this movie kind of reminds me in a lot of ways of that movie Cutting Class. Mm, with this the, is better than Cutting Class. Oh, you think so? Oh. Yeah. I don't know. I really have a soft spot for cut. Well, I guess you are right because Cutting Class, Cutting Class, it just has the great curiosity, whatever factor of having mm. Brad Pitt in it. But I guess you're right. Like this movie has way higher production value in terms of. The, the the gag you know the gore gags that they did and whatnot yeah so like let's talk about this guy here like, like he's a guy I say he's just a weird guy that's always like wearing sunglasses shit like I, like I don't know like I really didn't understand his connection to the core characters of the movie really other than he's just another guy who goes to the school with them because like he never like did he really hang out with Justin Farrar? Or no, Farrar? no, I, I think he's just in here to be another death later. I mean, right. here we're here we're discovering his his character's point is that he's the one in charge of the voting, collecting the votes and tallying them for prom queen. Yeah, and here we see Kelly Henenlotter kind of telling him like, well, I want you to you know rig the votes to make sure I get the win. Yeah. And and obviously we'll find out later how willing she's she is to go for that. But um Well first she tries to give him like five bucks here. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, no. You know, he he's like, I can't sell out my eleventh grade, you know, whatever thing. And maybe I can't tell looking at it though, but maybe maybe this Canadian money she's holding because it kinda looks like some weird loonies or whatever they call them. But yeah, he, you know, th- there is one thing he will accept. But he won't. He's he was. He's not willing to say it. He'll only type it on a computer for her to read. Exactly. That's, <laughs> that's a great little bit of outrageousness. Yeah. And then he's so dumb. He looks like a at a poster of Albert Einstein, and he doesn't actually know who it is. <laughs> yeah, I would say that girl, the rich bitch. She has that nice, like, super aquanetted um, hairspray. And then here we're kind of getting back into the school, and we start seeing, you know, Vicky's friend Monica, who really weaves in in and out of this storyline in the early, you know, whatever. And, like, I don't know, like, you do get the, um, you know, just like we said, that other weird guy. Like, you do kind of get the feeling that these characters are kind of just... They're kind of, like, hovering around the main two characters just so they can become victims later. Mm-hmm. So the name of this teacher, by the way, is Mr. O'Bannon. Oh, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm sure, it, it, was this the kind of, like, the weird English professor type guy? Is that who Mr. O'Bannon is that they showed earlier? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. there. Now we finally have Lisa Strange back for a split second there. But. Yeah. 
I'm surprised they, they didn't give him glasses, Mr. O'Bannon, to be more like, uh, you know, Daniel. <laughs> now, okay, Mr. O'Bannon, do you think that was like a comedy comb-over hairstyle, or was that just like legit? That's how that Oh, I think going. that was the actor. Yeah. yeah, he was legit. But they probably picked him, because like, you look at this guy, and you're like, you're like... He probably doesn't work much as an actor, but he looks exactly like an English teacher. (laughs) Now, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to suggest this is as jarring as maybe like Halloween three was for people to go see a Halloween film and not have Michael Myers there. But I I do wonder, do you think there was like any like hardcore prom night heads at the time that went to see prom night two and were just taken aback that suddenly it turned into this supernatural ghost story yeah like i was gonna say because you know i have seen prom night it's been a long time but it, it, it's it's somewhat of a tedious film in itself but like it's very much falls into the you know the generic slasher movie like the only thing that's not generic about prom night besides all the disco music is the fact that it has jamie lee Curtis yeah. in it but i definitely do i mean i would have to think that there would be a bunch of people who like were Pro- taken aback by this yeah. well honestly probably more than anything they're probably just more bored because the slasher formula is very you know even though mary lou kills people there's like long stretches in between where exposition and the characters and whatnot and it's a lot more of these fantasy kind of freddy ass yeah. sequences like, like this this speaking is, of those though this is great it's great and it's clearly you know and what those like basically she's getting pulled into the blackboard yeah, uh, and this, you know, by these black great, ghost hands that reminded me more of the modern ghost movies almost. Yeah, but this is and here we go. I love this. Yeah. Like this would be to me like the signature sequence of this film, um, and that we see like now the blackboard has become this whirlpool that she's being pulled into. And you know, any like anybody who knows anything about film can look at this and easily figure out how they did this. But it's, it's still just, it's yeah. it's awesome. Yeah, especially for a film of this size. And, yeah, like she gets pulled into the blackboard and the blackboard. And even water. just the detail of they have the letters floating around in there too. And then once right. the board reforms, they're kind of still mixed up on the board. Yeah, like like this. I mean, there was a lot of like little cool snippets earlier, but like once this happened, when I was watching it the other night, like this is where the movie started really kind of you know, kind of like clicking into mm-hmm. place for me and what made it special and you know, and basically she gets pulled in the blackboard and then when she comes out, she's you know she's Vicky's body, but she's you know Mary Lou is in control and now the movie yeah. starts you know. And now, and here, stretch here, I have to start. I have to give it up for Wendy Lyon too, because I think once she's taken over by Mary Lou, she does, she does really do a real, uh, strong job of it for sure. The, uh, but yeah, I think maybe like just people expecting a slasher movie, they might have been a little bored with like, oh shit, like here's the thing with actually like a layered story. Of, yeah, well, it's even the thing like we said, like you know, like we like the idea of a franchise just having a name and kind of trying different oh, things, but like, but you know, fi- yeah, but familiarity is is a powerful thing, you right. know, and people sometimes aren't ready for you know to go into a franchise and begin you know showing a completely different kind of film. Right, and I mean, I would I would have to think for this, you know, I'm I'm sure this film played theatrically. Um, I remember, uh, I actually remember. It's kind of funny. I'm I'm trying to remember what grade, sixth or seventh grade. Um, we well, not we, but but more than a few kids at the school would like get promo items from like video stores and stuff. 
And, like, sometimes they would just, like, sell them for, like, an extra couple bucks. So, like, I remember from one video store, I got a promo item. It was, like, a Back to Feature 2, like, pin for my jacket that had, like, the license plate on it or whatever. And then I remember another kid uh, actually had some kind of button that basically had, like, you know, what you see on the DVD cover, cover with Hello, Mary Lou, and then, you know, picture Mary Lou in her prom dress and whatnot. But, um... Yeah, like, this probably, like, had maybe some local TV spots, maybe whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm sure there probably was that opening weekend and, like, however many theaters showed up. There definitely had to be people be like, oh, sequel to Prom Night. Cool, you know, it seemed Prom Night on video. I feel like for a long time, it's, I think it's starting to change because a couple different horror podcasts have been, like, you know, really pimping this movie recently, saying it's an undiscovered gem, you know, or should be rediscovered. But I think for a long time it lived on mostly people were just remembering that name because it is such a catchy, memorable, yeah. rhyming name, you know. It, this it, is weird kind of storyline-wise, I would say, right. though, because – so here we have Mary Lou as as Vicky going to the confessional, as you said, and, you know, killing, killing the, the priest, priest. Yeah. with a crucifix, which is, you know, always great in a horror movie. But I do wonder, like – it seems odd to me that Mary Lou seeks revenge on him since right. he really had nothing to do with, you know, what happened to her. But yeah. you think she would just be going after uh, Ironside. Michael Ironside, yeah. And obviously in a roundabout way, she's going after his kid, too. But, <laughs> you know, but yeah, I know what you mean. Now, this is something here. I, I feel like I like this idea, but the movie doesn't push it as far as it could. No. Now here we have Vicky showing up to school dressed in like fifties, you know, clothes, and people kind of comment on it. But and I, I thought you could have actually gone a lot further with this. Like, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, other than the shoes, though, it's kind of fifties esque. It's not like super, super. Like, even though somebody said something about her looking fifties, like I didn't think yeah. it was like. Well, that's what I mean. I thought extreme. you could have. If she's Mary Lou now at this point, I, I kind of would have liked to see the way he pushed this even further with maybe some more like fish out of water kind of mm-hmm. not not used to this modern world kind of stuff, which, which, you know, maybe that would have dipped a little further into comedy. But I don't know. It wouldn't have been out of place, I don't think. I find it hilarious that like Mary Lou walks into the school and she immediately starts grabbing like a guy to pull him away to bang probably or something. You know? <laughs> it's just and then we get the return of Mary, you know, the great slasher, um, you know, tagline of the, her uh, character, see you later, alligator. Yeah. Of course, a classic horror movie line. And, like, this is, like, for, for people listening, this is, like, you know, another thing that, like, differentiates this is, like, she comes back, you know, she's obviously, she's possessing Vicky, nobody knows what's going on, but, like, Mary Lou come back from the grave. Now she's literally in the flesh. She's got a body she can walk around in, bang guys in, do whatever, kill people in even easier, I guess. And the, kind of the first thing she does, other than killing the priest, which she did the night before, but really at the school, the first thing she does is she starts like bossing everybody around in how to put up the prom decorations. <laughs> That's what an <laughs> evil ghost demon from the grave wants to do. See, here's the weird thing. Well, guy. she was cheated out of her prom experience, so. Oh yeah. yeah. Here's where I thought this guy was going to be Mr. O'Bannon. That's what I was, but I guess not. But he, but this guy is like maybe they didn't want to give him one of their friends' names because this guy is like the molester teacher of the school. Yeah. And like I found it funny, like that you know, he like gropes up Vicky or whatever. But I mean, obviously Mary Lou. You think Mary Lou in a roundabout way would like it more? But, I know. I was just. I was just thinking that. It's like I feel like Mary Lou probably would have ended up sleeping with this teacher. Yeah. 
Just like I think, I think definitely what Mary Lou would have done is she would have like slept with them, but like done it in a way to like to make sure that somebody would have walked in and got him fired. Okay, <laughs> now this is the scene that was really shocking to me the other night. Is now all of a sudden, you know, these main characters, the good girls, Monica, Vicky, whatever. Now we get like a locker room scene where you clearly, like, I, I was shocked at first that you clearly saw like a complete side view of Monica's breast. Some uh, very, you know, obvious, uh, you know, Monica looks a little too old to be in high school. She doesn't look bad, but she looks a little too old to be in high school. Uh, parading her breast implants around the, uh, the school locker room or whatnot. But like, this kind of shocked me, and then where else this goes, and all of a sudden Vicky's going to get fully naked here in a second. Mm-hmm. I, I'll be honest, like I didn't think this was that type of movie. <laughs> it, well, especially with well, these actresses, uh, too, you know what I mean? Well, I'll tell you what, from reading the trivia, you know who else was shocked and didn't think it was that type of movie was the writer, who really? did not write the scene to be to okay. have nudity, and was, and was actually really surprised when he saw the film, and especially having Vicky be fully nude, that was not the way he intended uh, or pictured it. Vicky fully nude, and when we say fully nude, we mean We like, mean fully. Yeah. Like Monica, they show her for, uh, nude from the side, you can clearly see her breast, but that's about it, or a long shot, then you see kind of her backside in the shower but vicky slowly walking towards the camera nude and did you catch the obvious merkin she was wearing oh yeah yeah, yeah. for people who out though don't know merkin is a hair piece that you glue onto your genitals usually for a girl because mm-hmm. i mean obviously like i mean even if you're hairy like you can probably see, if you're doing full-on shots you're probably going to see a girl's vagina you know vagina lips and that was something that you couldn't, I guess you couldn't do in an R-rated movie. So everybody had to come up with Merkins where they glue these things. Well, of course, the most infamous example of that is the, the, uh, the fl- just the smooth flesh Merkin that Linnea Quigley wears right. in Return of the Living Dead. That just makes her look like a Barbie doll. And I heard, like, they shot and reshot, like, shots of that over and over. Like, I heard first, uh, first she had a Merkin, and then they were like, okay, yeah, the Merkin is what you do. You c- it covers everything up. But then they were like, but the... The pubic hair is so like noticeable; it will get us some more trouble. So then, I, then I heard that's when they like kind of reshot with some uh, smooth baby doll shit on her privates. Uh, by the way, I just noticed because they were talking about him in the scene. You were saying that they didn't want to name the molester teacher uh, after one of their friends, but his name was Mister Craven. So, <laughs> well, well, maybe that's because he called with the advice to give him a heart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that kind of makes sense. If it was me, if I was like making the movie and naming all the teachers after directors, I would have definitely, um, you know, I would have, I would have gone underground with it. And, and instead of just calling him Mr. Craven, I would have called him Mr. Abe snake. <laughs> really That's a good deep cut. Yeah. Deep cut. And I have to say, um, I don't know, like the Monica character here, like I thought she was going to be bigger in the storyline. I thought she was going to be at the prom and was going to be warning everybody that something wrong was wrong with Vicky. But yeah. they really, I feel like that's the one character a little bit they dropped the ball on. Well, yeah, but then again, she's dumb enough to get in a locker instead of just run out of the locker room. Right. So, but she was what naked good would, though. What good of. would she have been, you know, yeah. in the climax? So I'll I'll let you explain this death because this thing kind of took my breath away. Like, <laughs> the, to me, this was the only like super kind of like bad part of, of the movie. Like I thought this was fucking ridiculous, honestly. Yeah, so Monica is hidden inside a locker, and uh, as Vicky, the naked, very naked Vicky, stalks around the room looking for her, 
And as we kind of just insinuated, it's a bad hiding spot. It's kind of like we see that Vicky knows exactly where she is. Um, and she kind of uses her psychic powers to just pull the lockers on the other side together, like magnets, essentially crushing the right. locker that Monica's in. And we see what I guess is supposed to be like guts or brains. Like, like instantly. Yeah, it's one. Yeah, instantly just pour out of the, the grate in the, the locker door. But I don't know. Right. It looks like like red foam soap or something to me. Yeah, it's not. It's like, yeah. yeah. And it runs out. It's like, like you said, super runny. Yeah, and I think definitely those lockers were like a miniature that they like jammed together or something. And I feel like she just puts up an out of order sign, and apparently for the rest of the movie, nobody like goes in there. I don't yeah, know. how the fuck is a locker room out of order? Like I could understand like that, like the actual bathroom sub part within a locker room, but how is an entire locker room out of order? Very bizarre. But yeah. Here we're kind of getting into like the you know the the horniness. So she, so now she actually does take Justin Lewis, aka Lewis Ferrara, like into like the storage room to bang or whatever. But it gets broken up here in a second. But I guess this is more of the uh, taking Wes Craven's uh, advice or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I mean, like, like. I don't know, like, I just didn't, like, I like I like the girl who played Vicky and everything, but, like, I don't know, I just felt weird once she got, like, super sexualized and all that. Well, I think that's kind of the point, isn't it? I mean, it's... It's, it's out of play. I guess, yeah, if you would I think it's to... effective that they play her so innocent at the beginning, so this does seem kind of jarring and shocking when she yeah. starts acting this kind of sexualized and aggressive. <laughs> No, I think this is like that's a pretty this is pretty interesting. Yeah, it's really weird. Mike Garner starts having flashbacks to being back into his suit, you know, from the prom, and he sees his son going in a car down a hall. Like the actual car is in the hallway of the school, right? <laughs> but it's also interesting because it's like it's I guess it's just a dream, but he's having right. it right after she has knocked his son out. Right. And I wonder if it's supposed to be like he's he is somehow psychically connected to what's going on or. I think so, because, like, when the shit initially started and, like, you know, the the picture broke in his, uh, I don't know, like, I got I got the feeling, like, early on, like, he, he somehow knew what was going on. Because, like, even though they show it, like, instantly the second she dies, like, the, her spirit flies into that trunk. Like, Ironside went down there and was, like, super pissed, and he saw the trunk was open, and he slammed it shut real qu- real quick. So, like, maybe he was the, like, maybe she was doing some haunting shit at some point, and he locked, like, her tiara and everything else in there on purpose to try to, you know. That's why we need a uh, Hello, Mary Lou Prom Night 2 prequel. We do. <laughs> I would actually watch it, <laughs> especially <laughs> if, like, if it went into, like... You know, all that time, those 30 years in between. It's interesting. Dressed the way he is here, like, Michael Ironside looks to me like uh, he's playing, like, an older Herbert West. Yeah, I could really see that. I mean, obviously, later on, Jeffrey Combs would just do that himself in the third film. But here, that's what that kind of looks like. They did a great job, too, with putting some, you know, some good kind of, you know, middle-aged nerdy glasses on Ironside, too, I thought. 
I think those were just standard glasses in '87, though. I mean, I had yeah. I wore glasses when I was a kid. And I I had definitely had some huge glasses like that. Yeah, they were even sunglasses were big. Okay, here we go. This is what I was talking about. Well, they're milking that prop. She mm-hmm. she's on the the merry-go-round horse in her bedroom that's alive. Like she's actually reaching to its mouth, letting it drool onto her hand, like grabbing the tongue. Now I said that blackboard scene was the signature signature scene. I'm sure there's probably a lot of people who consider this the signature scene. And right. if you know any people like that, meh, you might want to be careful around them. <laughs> because the uh, uh, well, I guess that her her ultra conservative re- religious father he comes in and you know he at first he doesn't have any idea. You know his, his daughter's acting weird. She's possessed, whatever. But like. You know, she immediately starts putting it on her own father, making out, and like he's he's not saying like no at all. No, no. Like it, like I almost got the feeling like he'd been waiting for this to happen somehow. <laughs> but then the mom immediately comes in, which like I kind of wish it would have gone like a little further in terms of like. Yeah, like, of course you do. Oh, of course. I mean, I you know I want to see that. But uh, I want some, uh, the you know, the original, the crazies action going on here. But uh, but no, like I like I almost l- would like the idea more of Mary Lou doing it and like taunting him more, mm-hmm. and like he's like ashamed, but he he's like he, you know, what I mean, just play it up a little more before the mom walks in. You know how demonic she is and shit. But then the mom starts like she takes a position immediately in front of the front door and starts bitching. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mary Lou just psychically throws her through the door. And now we're really going to get into the, uh, you know, the Carrie-esque whatever. I thought this was interesting, too, is, like, like, the son is, like, at home knocked out. Like, was he just, like, his life force was drained by Mary Lou? <laughs> Is that what happened? I mean, it was like, you know, it's the combination of blue balls and being knocked out right. just together. It just couldn't, it takes a long time to recover from that. It was funny is, you know, he got knocked out by Mary Lou. Somehow he got home and he's like, he's looking a little pasty. He's whatever. And, uh, you know, he, the son realizes like something evil is going on, whatnot. Like, you know, he's got to really spring into action. And I have to say, this is kind of the funniest moment of the movie, where he asks, where's my shoe? <laughs> Michael Ironside says, it's right here. And Michael Ironside picks up like a nearby rock or something that hits him over the head and knocks him out. And then the best part, after knocking out his own son, because he's getting ready to go you know, fight some evil, Michael Ironside then walks down the staircase, putting on the most freaking grandpa sweater you've ever seen it's it's it, like i was like like legitimately laughing and then he does it you know you're like oh what's he gonna do he he goes to dig up mary lou's grave so now he's digging mary lou's grave in a grandpa sweater with grandpa glasses fuck it i'm telling you like that's what that's kind of like this weirdness is what sets this movie apart from you know your your friday the 13th part 85 or whatever that's great because and it, it, you know you have an actor Ironside who just sells it too, just commits right. to it, and that's always the best when you have something this ridiculous and over the top. Yeah. Now he finds his. Now he finds the priest uh, dead in the Mary Lou's grave, the crucifix wedged into his mouth. And I love how angry Ironside was when he pulled it out of his mouth and threw it across the graveyard. <laughs> 
But I, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, obviously some teleportation magic. But I, but I found that interesting that you know the priest was in the grave. Mm-hmm. Now I will give them credit. Um, I didn't go to my high school prom. It was like my high school prom actually happened in um, like a closed down restaurant banquet hall thing. So like I don't think it was too fancy. But this high school prom, they decorated the outside of the school. They brought in huge neon displays. <laughs> like we never had anything in high school as fancy as this shit. And yet, for all that, it still looks like it's in this like super tiny room, right? With a class of about forty-five students. Yeah. Now, what do you think of Vicky's like slutty, like shaking her uh, shoulders back and forth dance? That was a little strange. <laughs> It's like, uh, you know, Mary, like, maybe Vicky just doesn't have the choreography. Like, it doesn't matter if you possess her. Right. Just the muscle memory's not there. She's still a white girl who can't dance. Mm-hmm. Mary Lou's fighting it from the inside, but she just can't, she can't combat Vicky's lameness. <laughs> her religious church dancing or whatever. So Justin Lewis is finally waking him up from his bludgeoning from his father's hand. And, uh... Yeah, so Michael Ironside, you know, seeing that Mary, it, it is true, Mary Lou's body is not in her casket, whatever. Um, you know, he can't, like, and what, it, well, I was going to say, was that a ripoff of Elm Street 3? But it couldn't have been, you know. It just really reminded me of that, like, when Saxon digs up Freddy's grave. But they couldn't have been, because both those movies came out the same year. They probably had pie-in-the-sky dreams while they were making this, though, of eventually getting to Freddy versus Mary Lou. Oh, that would have been great. Because, uh, cause, you know, they, they could have kind of, like, retconned it. So, f- say that at one time, Freddy was the um, the janitor at Hamilton Eye before he went <laughs> to Springwood or whatever. And then then he, like, that, that, that's what, like, what's his name, Brad Fuller? He would write that shit. He'd be like, yeah, and Freddy molested Mary Lou. And that's why Mary Lou became such a slut and blah, blah, blah. That, that would be a great... Uh, shitty remake now i didn't get this like that 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 goofy weird guy who's running the voting of the prom and that's what really gave it away as a canadian movie his he like at like i got the feeling that this was the office of like the school paper or something i don't know but like he has a refrigerator like literally full of like not even a 12 pack like probably about 14 16 bottles of bats which mm-hmm. people don't know that Labatt's is about the most Canadian beer. It's like the Canadian Budweiser, I would say. Yeah, I don't know. Does it? Uh, how is it really readily available in California? Because it's definitely readily available here in Michigan. I, I mean, I think here it's like more if you go to Bevmo, they definitely have it. But um, I usually yeah, because it's all over here. I mean, I love Labatt's. That's actually my beer of choice in terms of like what we would call domestic, even though it is from Canada. Right. But. Uh, Pamela, Pamela Anderson was discovered as a Labatt's girl. But so um, I, I bristled a little bit when you said the Canadian Budweiser, just because it's so much better than. <laughs> well, I just mean the popularity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, I'm sure Canadians like like uh, better beer than we do. But but yeah, but uh, and especially high school kids. I've actually never. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure I've never drinking Labatt's. Now, yeah, so now we find out that okay, so the, the what he asked her to do to you know swing the yeah. votes in her favor was obviously a blowjob, and mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about the indignity of that of not only being forced to blow a guy but to blow a guy with a light up bow tie. 
That's yeah, like, he has a light up boat. <laughs> <laughs> so you, your life is at the bottom right there. Yeah, but she wants the popularity. She wants that moment, you know. So, do you drink straight up Labatt's or do you drink Labatt's Blue? Uh, Labatt's Blue, yeah. Labatt yeah. Blue or Labatt Blue Light. Sometimes. Okay. Would you would you say uh, would you say it's like a like a pale ale type beer? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why, because uh, I mostly buy pale ale pilsner. Yeah. Yeah, I mostly buy my booze from supermarkets here, and I never I never see it on the shelf here, in California. I mean, pro- I, I guarantee you in fucking L.A., but just not in like just country ass whatever where I live now. This is where we learn, like, I, you know, the limits of Mary Lou's powers are obviously very ill-defined, as they often are in films like this. But yeah. I love that she, like, the moment he changes the, the winner on the computer to Kelly, she just senses it somehow. Right. And, she, and, then, and then she actually, with her magic, makes the computer say that she won. Mm-hmm. Now, here we have a death very similar to, this always, This reminds me of a death uh, just like this in Popcorn. Right. Uh, the, the electric uh, overload death. It really reminds me of some Return of the Jedi shit, too. <laughs> some fucking blue lightning bolts. I have to say, those 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 were some... Uh, that... I don't know. It's a toss-up between that and the locker death as being the worst like moments of the movie, really. But I would prefer more of like a silver shamrock gimmick where like... Just one solid beam hits the guy, and he, then he slowly swells and like crumbles or whatever. So yeah, so like there, this school was so high tech that the you know the announcer guy was going to announce the prom queen. They were like waiting for a computer screen to say it, and then he looked back and said, "Oh yeah, damn!" There was a blonde girl with huge like four. There she is, with like four foot tall, bleached hair. Yeah, super eighties. I just noticed her, her name is Vicky Carpenter. So again, right? Yeah. You know, surprised they didn't name her dad John. <laughs> Justin Lewis showing up on his motorcycle. Again, in most movies, if you have Michael Ironside with a gun at a high school prom, like he's the villain. Right. Like the, <laughs> it's interesting to see him as like, oh, you're kind of on his side here. Well, this is what I was like, kind of alluding to uh, earlier when we were talking. Is like, yeah, he's the hero, but I mean, he don't. He's not like, oh, there's got to be some some uh, you know spell or some curse I can reverse with some magic. He's just like, I'm just gonna shoot this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> like he, like he's gonna he's gonna murder one of the student not only one of the students at the school where he is the principal, but his his teenage son's girlfriend. He's just gonna shoot, even though he knows, um, you know, she's like a religious whatever good girl, like whatever. He's just like, I, like he's going Charles Bronson on this. Yeah. Well, I mean, what else can you do? I'm kind of on his side, I suppose. Yeah. Like I, I think I would try to like make some exorcism type shit happen like maybe i would try to like kidnap her and tie her down and you know spray some holy water on her like just 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 to go straight with the shooting and and he does it he he climbs up into the catwalk just like he did as a teenager and he blows her away like multiple times multiple shots 
and then everybody, you know, at the prom is like all, you know, dumbfounded. This would be a terrible time if you were him to find out they were just wrong about all of this. You know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it almost sounds like something that would happen now at like some weird school. Just a whack job principal. Okay, this is like the moment where like it's all gonna all hell's gonna break loose here. And uh there's some questionable makeup effects, but I think you know, bits of it, I think overall it's pretty interesting. Like mm-hmm. like this this reminded me um as being really influenced by demons when the when the demon crawls out of the girl's back. Yeah. So, no, this is great. It's... So, and this is what you miss out, kids. Like when your horror movies have all CGI effects, is they don't get as creative with the visuals. Or like here, it's literally like the full size Mary Lou is coming out of this girl's body. But then again, I guess maybe not so much as demons. I bet they probably ripped this off of Freddy Part Two, where he comes out. Yeah, of the guy. pulling out of the skin. Yeah. Yeah, and I love this like this animatronic Mary Lou like like we for a moment there it's like a puppet kind of right yeah and it's very burned up and charred and the makeup you know it's very unrecognizable you know as the actress it's just mm-hmm. it was really that like like that right there like but you can see on on one shot it's fine on other shots are but there was that one shot there with like the neck of the prosthetic yeah it's like clearly a mask yeah, yeah it's like a mask neck just hanging. But but but, but kind of that image, man. They pass, plastered that shit all over Fangoria. And here it gets really super <laughs> Carrie-esque, wouldn't you say? With all the yeah, and I, so you're talking about like the neon lights and the fact yeah. like one of the neon lights uh, falls down and stabs uh, the, Kelly through yeah. the stomach. Which which like you think that would have been Mary Lou's home girl? <laughs> like, you know? Yeah, like you know, like partners in crime but then again she was trying to take away her crown so that oh that is true then ironside is really you know he's really having a hard time on that catwalk getting thrown to and fro oh justin lewis is getting like borderline curb stomped I think what makes like like I know it, uh, uh, one of the things that makes Lisa Schrag so striking when they do those close-ups is like those blue eyes she has too, right. and they they lit them really well to where it's always very like you know kind of uh, well I just said striking but that's the best word for it yeah it, it, it's almost like a Meg Foster type situation but mm-hmm. it looks a little different and I thought it was weird too like. Cause she comes out fully burned up, but then like she like she she gets to looking like ninety percent normal with just like a little bit of prosthetic. I like I would have been fine if they she just would have been like fully normal looking here at the end. Cause just a tiny bit of prosthetics or burn stuff or whatever's on her face to me, it's it's not very necessary. Well, I say you ask yourself if you can heal yourself, why would you get to that point and stop? Right. Yeah. I thought that was a great gag too, where uh, you know he he runs down the steps and he sees her at the top of the steps, but then yeah, all she... of a sudden pops up in his face. I thought like that that got me pretty good. The other night I was like, oh shit, I wasn't expecting that. Now maybe I'm insane, but look closely here, Trev. Is very similar. There's like a skull Halloween mask that looks very much like the uh, 
Maybe it already passed, but it looks very much like the Halloween 3 skull mask. And they did make that mask though previously before Halloween 3 as well. So mm -hmm. maybe it was one of the early versions of it. Or just maybe it was a very similar looking mask. Yeah, so now we basically just get Justin Lewis running through the basements of the school trying to survive. And obviously, you know, he locks the doors. He does this, he does that. And then obviously Mary Lou is always, you know. And then the guy who got... Was that the... That's the guy who got palpatine right? Yeah. The blowjob guy? Yeah, he's like in a King Tut mummy coffin. But then he comes alive to be all like whatever. Turns his head all the way around. Yeah. A little exorcist homage there. I mean, like, when I was watching this Saturday night, I was like, really, what can this guy do? You know? Like, he's just trapped down here. Well, and he falls for the oldest trick in the book. Yeah. You know, and she says, like, it's me, Vicky. And it's like, man, you just saw Vicky be pulled apart. Right. And Mary Lou come out of her. Like, you really think she survived that? Yeah, that's a, that's a little hard to believe. But the way they reveal it here is nice with the glove. Yeah, like they hug, but then she has Mary Lou's glove. And Mary Lou actually has like a special ring as well. Mm-hmm. And the way I took this, because now we get into some more magic trunk hooey, is because uh, Mary Lou actually throws him into the trunk and he gets trapped. And again, I don't know why this trunk is magic or just what happened with it. But story-wise, do you think... Like, her thing is, like, if she throws him in the trunk, she don't have to go back in, you think, maybe? Uh, maybe, or I thought maybe she was, like, trying to, like, well, she says, see you later, alligator. I don't know if she's, like, banishing him. Yeah. Or if she's trying to do, to, like, trying to trap him in some kind of limbo to where she can keep him forever. Right. Like, her motivations are pretty nebulous, and we're not going to yeah. lie here. Yeah. Um, and I know, and, like... In the in the following film, it's more played off of I don't know how well you remember that one, but she becomes obsessed with one kid, yeah, and it's just like, well, I'm your I'm your girlfriend now, and like, well, and like won't leave him alone. That's not, and that even seems like a little antithetical to what Mary Lou is here, to where she just wants to sleep with everyone. But and I, I think it's a great wrap up you know, between Lisa Schrag and then obviously the grown up Michael Ironside here. Mm -hmm. I thought this was great. I like I could have gone. For like a few more minutes of kind of them, you know, hashing out, you know, the hatred and the revenge and whatever. But like in a weird way, even though, you know, he's the one sh main one she wants revenge on. In a weird way, all of a sudden, like, I don't know, does she forgive him or is she like she's really taken in by his kiss and like his whatever. Well, I mean, it's it, it, it's all a misdirect, though, really. Right. Yeah. I mean. What they're trying to have us believe for a moment is that by, you know, coming in, putting the crown on her head and kissing her, he's broken this curse. Right. He's putting and her of course, soul to rest somewhat. Yeah. And, of course, we'll find out that that's not the case. And really, right. she could just be luring him in. But Right. That would have been awesome if, like, they just had the, instead of Justin Lewis, they just had the fake young Ironside play the sun as well. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking how funny it would be, like, that little shot right there of them at prom, if that was just Michael Ironside, actually. Yeah. Just <laughs> laughing and dancing with her at a high school prom. Well, that's kind of the feeling that I was getting when they first kissed, but then, like, yeah. yeah. 
And then here we get like a crucifix with the the chain swinging up on the wall, and like, like I like I I felt like this was you know really always like for the first time here we, I feel like we have Vicky's soul kind of like fighting to come back, you know. Whereas like yeah. we, we never really got that when um, Mary Lou was in her body. I felt yeah, like. it might have been interesting if a couple times we saw where Vicky was, you right. know, being stuck in some other world and. Could, could, I mean, obviously, maybe some budget, you know, concerns. It couldn't have happened, but I definitely could have seen some cool kind of Hellraiser two imagery, maybe. But yeah, she just climbs out of the trunk, all slimy and shit. Mm-hmm. And then like this cop's so mad. He's so he angry. <laughs> See, but look at the, look at like the outside of the school. They directed they. Uh, yeah, they went all out, man. Yeah, they decorated the outside too. Shocking. Like I can see like a banner over the doorway that you walk into, like prom nineteen eighty seven, whatever. But they put like stars all over the fucking school. Like the whole front of the building. So it was always a little weird to me, like watching this, because Justin Lewis gets sucked in the thing, but then Ironside comes in and kisses Mary Lou, and then we get the flashback and all that. And then all of a sudden, Justin Lewis is outside of the box, and then that's why when he opens it and he pulls Vicky out. So it's like, where was Ironside this whole time? Like, what happened? You know what I mean? And then Ironside gets in the um, the car to, like, drive away. And I thought it was weird, too, that, like, like they didn't hang out, talk to the cops, nothing. And then Ironside's like, just get in this car. Let's leave. But, well, now we know why. Right. Now it's revealed, you know, through the song playing on the radio, and then also Ironside is wearing Mary Lou's ring, and he's laughing maniacally. His eyes go blue, yeah. Yeah, glowing eyes, it's Mary Lou. And I thought this was the bizarrest way to end it, in all honesty. It's bizarre, but I'll tell you what, if you can end a movie with crazy Michael Ironside smiling at a camera, then do it. I mean, if you have that opportunity, go for it. Like, I mean, obviously it's going for that cheap horror movie, One Last Scare type you know convention and and the actual scene i like i'm like i'm not bitching but like i just was thinking like you know like the second that this movie ends and we don't see anymore like what really happened to them like what you know well like the question it does leave you with is like so then you're like oh okay well she suckered him in and she possessed him but i mean is possessing the body of michael ironside a victory for mary lou ultimately she want that (laughs) But maybe the idea is now she can maybe she can hop bodies. I don't know. So or maybe yeah, I don't know. It's hard to describe. Like maybe. Well, once, thankfully, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was gonna say maybe once Vicky climbed out of the trunk, then she just needed a new body. I don't know. Yeah, thankfully all these questions are answered in part three. Um, just kidding, they aren't at all. But <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, I was like, <laughs> wow, that's actually surprising. No, part three. So part three starts um, actually in hell, and we see uh, it's actually pretty interesting because it, it tells it right away. You, you can see it's a comedy because um, Mary Lou is kind of like part of a chain gang in hell, and she uses a nail file to just kind of uh, file through her chains and break out of hell. Uh, the security is surprisingly lax in hell, and she just comes back to Hamilton. And it's a couple of years later, and the school is trying to get over the tragedy of this event. And as I said, this one, she's just more of a, a ghost that's always around, becomes obsessed with one student there. And he's already got a girl for, a, you know, a girl he's interested in, a girlfriend. But she kind of takes over and 
seduces him and then starts kind of killing everybody that is like uh, an obstacle to them being together or an obstacle to him. Right. And it's played very arch because whenever she kills someone and he finds the body, he does not do what a normal human being would do and freak out. Instead, he's just always like, oh, come on, Mary Lou, you can't keep killing people, you know, and and that's the comedy of it. It's one of those like very goofy, you know, early 90s, late 80s comedies. Uh, it's not good by any means, but I do like Courtney Taylor's version of Mary Lou. And it just has, it's that kind of, it's that cornball humor that because it's not funny, it starts kind of becoming funny. You know what I mean? Right. Like if you're in, like if you're in the right mood. So, and it still has some kind of fun, stupid kills. So if people like this one, I'd recommend checking it out. But if you hate it, I'm, I'm not going to be surprised. And it's definitely not the strong, you know, horror film that this one is. Yeah, I was going to say, I just checked just out of curiosity. This one came out in 87. Part 3 came out in 1990, so a few years later. So, yeah, that's it for Prom Night uh, 2. Any any last, uh, you know, thoughts on it, Trev? I mean, I do agree that I think it's due for a rediscovery, and I think it's due for a nice special edition Blu-ray. Um, yeah. It's definitely one of the more... I wouldn't I wouldn't put it in like, you know, the top five of the slasher run or anything of like or even supernatural films, the 80s. But it's probably one of the better films. That's not a big kind of, you know, classic today, I'd say that everybody knows that. Yeah. That like ilk that is kind of still hovering just below where it should be. It's it's definitely one of the better entries and deserves a little more. And I don't know. I think it is like maybe that's just that prom night, too. But it's not really connected kind of thing. I mean, I would definitely love to see, you know, like you said, the special edition. I mean, I, w- I would probably, in all honesty, and I know people are always like, well, I don't care about special features. Or but, like, if they actually got some interviews with some of these people, including especially well, this, Michael Ironside, I would buy that disc. I'm not yeah, lying. no, this is this is exactly, you know, special features, sometimes they're great, sometimes they're not. This is exactly the kind of movie I would love to hear from right. Ironside and if they could track down these Lisa Strange and interview her and... You know, whoever else, and just to hear what the production is like. I'd like to hear people talk about, you know, making a movie, thinking it's one thing, and having it turn in, turn into prom night too. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure there's some good stories there. Yeah, so I definitely would recommend for the people listening who haven't seen this before to check it out, or maybe if you're just like me and you haven't seen it for like literally 20, 25 years, track it down, give it a rental, you know, or buy it. I'm sure the DVD's cheap. Um, but yeah, hopefully we get. Well, like you said, if 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 nothing else, it does feel like it's a it's a good it feels like a good minor Nightmare on Elm Street kind of takeoff. Right, it really does. Yeah, like especially if you like like the Elm Street series and you like kind of like the spinoff. No, well, not they're not technically spinoffs, but you know, kind of rip off movies like Bad Dreams or something. That's another one mm-hmm. that I kind of like. It's kind of fun. Oh, you know, of that ilk, trying to create a new Kruger esque villain. I think you'll like it. And then, and then obviously there's I like I really do believe that you know especially among movie nerds I think Ironside is really picking up some steam the last few years like I hear a yeah. lot of people on podcasts talking about him so it's got a great uh, this has a great poster too uh, oh yeah. yeah it is too. great the, <laughs> the painting of her like in the locker looking like a grave and there's actually two versions of it I don't know if you've seen them both go but there's the traditional one most people know that we see that's the American one where her arms are crossed. Right, and then there's another great like uh, international version where it's this. I, I'm pretty sure it's the same artist because it looks like just a takeoff of the same thing, but she's actually kind of reaching out towards you in the poster. And no, uh, I haven't seen that one. Yeah. They, it doesn't look like they have it on IMDb. They just have the more traditional one. Yeah. Oh, this was a, originally a Samuel Goldwyn release. The same people who released the uh, 
uh, what was it, yeah, once bitten, some other shit, so, interesting, but yeah, be, before we wrap up and sign off, you know, it's been a while since we've been whatever, we, you know, on the air here, so, so to speak, we lost some, fortunately, some great 80s horror icons, yeah, Toby Hooper, it's really, like, I'm not lying, it's like a really, last few months, really dark time, especially for, you know, Pete horror fans, classic horror fans, and, uh, you know, lately there's been a little bit of a Stephen King resurgence with the box office success of, you know, his film It. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've I've been reading some articles that, you know, supposedly Hollywood is, uh, you, know, you know, rushing to grab properties, do this, do that. Or, I, I don't know how legitimate this is, but I heard Warner Brothers is, you know, who made... Stephen King's it, the new version. I heard they're actually salivating at the idea of getting Jason back in 2018. So, for you 80s horror fans, if that's true, maybe let's talk about that for just a split second because I know you're, sure. you know, you're wearing a hockey mask right now. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I read some stuff that you know we don't know how true this shit is, and like I don't want to be like, oh yeah, there's a new Jason movie coming out, but. I actually read that, you know, supposedly the people at Warner Brothers laughed their asses off because they did this deal with Paramount, who's very, a very disorganized studio, Paramount will say that, where Warner Brothers, who normally makes uh, uh, Christopher Nolan movies, they, they did like a profit or a co-production split on the film Interstellar a couple years ago, and Warner Brothers ended up making a lot of money on the deal. And the exchange of it was that uh, Paramount, excuse me, who at one time had the Friday the 13th rights, got them back for a five-year period. And they could have made one movie, I think a couple movies if they wanted to. They had a five-year period. Think how many Friday the 13th movies, Trev, used to come out in a five-year period. And Paramount, Yeah, a five-year period in the 80s, that's like seven Friday the 13th exactly, movies. Exactly. And Paramount couldn't, could not make one Friday the 13th. So, like... They did this, you know, this kind of co-production profit split on Interstellar. Warner Brothers apparently made a lot of money, and they're laughing that these idiots at Paramount could not get one Jason movie off the, uh, you know, off the ground. So, uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, so Warner Brothers will have that back in just a couple months, and uh, you know, there's there's some like weird lawsuit shit going on with uh, the original Friday the 13th film with Victor Miller and Sean Cunningham. But from what I understand, it's not really going to affect anything related with Jason. Maybe they might have to drop the Friday the 13th name and just do like a, you know, Jason X type of title mm-hmm. where it just focuses on Jason. It's uh, I don't know. It's, I feel like for as much as they might laugh at this, at this other studio for not getting it going, I feel like, We'll probably see them fall into the same trap of, right. you know, yeah. over, just overthinking it. I think that's the problem with Friday the Thirteenth at this point. Clearly, yeah. is trying to make the perfect Friday the Thirteenth movie. When I think, actually, speaking as someone who loves Friday the Thirteenth, it's my favorite horror franchise. Um, I don't want you to make the perfect Friday the Thirteenth movie. I want you to make a bunch of crappy little right. dumb Friday the Thirteenth movies. That's what I like about it. You know, like and I don't. That sounded wrong, but you know what I mean. Like I, I toss off a new one every few months, honestly, because that was that's what was fun about it originally. Um, yeah, some of them won't be as good as others, but it, that's the strength of that series. Is you don't have to overthink it. You can just make these little down and dirty slasher movies, and I know it's not what they're looking for. They want it to be a hundred million dollar hit, but well, I mean. Yeah. Some of these guys have now raised their profile where you can't do it, but but I I always had the whatever 
that I would kind of like if I was running Paramount during that time. Like I think what they should have done was, um, and I was thinking this really for the last couple of years, but they should have plotted out some type of trilogy, like very loosely. You know, no, you don't have to sit down with like Star Wars Bible story or whatever, but it, it just do a loose kind of plan for a trilogy, and like they really, you know, they really could have rustled up some great directors on the rise a couple of years ago, like. If they if they would have grabbed up Ty West, Adam Wingard, and then like somebody like Joe Lynch and kind of all, you know, just back to back, like literally shoot one a year, do like a trilogy. I think that could have been great, but I'm not sure now. With maybe you could still get Joe Lynch. I'm sure you probably could, but but yeah, like I think they kind of blew it because we had some rising stars in the indie horror world and you know, turned into directors, and uh, I think they could have tapped into that last few years, and now I don't know. Like, I I think going and getting, like, the Platinum Dunes type producer guys, like, I don't think that's going to work for Friday the 13th long term, honestly. Yeah. I'm actually surprised to hear that that's the franchise that might, you know, get a rebirth out of this, because yeah. if anything, look, watching it, um, to me, like, you watch that film and you go, like, oh, this is going to definitely lead to the return of Freddy, right. because... Pennywise is very is a very similar character to Freddy, and I'm sure you've seen uh, other people say this, and I I would echo it. The new It definitely feels like a Nightmare on Elm right. Street film, and I, I actually liked that. I think that was a good call, and it, it felt like a horror film, like it felt like a missing '80s horror film, and to the point where I even kind of think maybe the maybe um, Machete is the right guy to uh, direct a new Nightmare on Elm Street film if he doesn't feel like that would be too much, you know, redoing the same thing now. But, is that how you say his name, Machete? Mushetti, I don't know. Like, <laughs> probably not Mushetti. Yeah, like don't. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I because I do, you know I think there is still life in that franchise. I right. think they just they screwed up that remake, but that doesn't mean that that character can't live on. I even think they found the right guy. You know, Jackie Earl Haley was not the problem by any means. You know, you know that's the thing too is I kind of think Robert England is still the right guy, and people are like, oh no, he's too old. I'm like. If you can have a freaking seventy-eight-year-old Indiana Jones, you know you 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 could kind of work around Robert England's limitations in terms of his age. Well, but I think the bigger problem is he doesn't want to do it. You know, you can say he's the guy all you want, but if he doesn't want to put the makeup on again and do it, then you have to move on. But don't you think they? Well, I mean, I'm sure they would cut him a big check. Like, if the, if they offered him three million dollars, don't you think he would do it? Maybe. I mean, I, I, I'm not disagreeing. I do think the longer you stick with him, it's like at some point it can't be him anymore. You know, right. the, and the, the, at some point you just have to make that change and start forcing fans to accept a different Freddy, you know, and that's a hard one because, you know, Jason, yeah. you know, people there's a lot of people very loyal to Kane Hodder, but it's not like replacing him, you know, did anything to the box office right. of Freddy vs. Jason, but Freddy's a hard one because that is Robert England. Well, that's why, you know, the, like, with the Star Wars fans will know this, um, you know, I guess maybe the more hardcore ones, but, um, you know, they did a lot of tricks with The Force Awakens where they can involve Peter Mayhew as Chewbacca, but he couldn't really mm-hmm. do that much, so, like, they kind of had, like, a second, like, and I think maybe, like, that's what you do with Freddy, like, for long shots, for running shots, for this, for that, I mean... And, there, you know, Freddy himself, like, you, you, if you go back to the original movies, you don't even want him on screen that much. You know what I mean? Like, like I think just get England for, like, the in the makeup for the close-ups and the dialogue, and that's, you know. See, I don't know. I kind of come out as, as, like, a, you know, as, like, a James Bond fan, 
yeah. I'm kind of intrigued by the idea of, of now moving on to a different Freddy and having a different take on it for a while. And if it doesn't work, then get another guy. You right. know, I, I'm not I'm not opposed to that. England had his time, and there's a lot of Robert England as Freddy material out there for us to enjoy. That's true. Um, and while I didn't like the makeup or what they did with the character, no. I, yeah. I, I did like Jack Earl Haley's performance as Freddy. So that, to me, showed that other people can play that character. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, to me, if you're like, okay, you can't have Robert England, like, who would you pick? Like, to me, it would be Jackie O'Reilly. Like, that's who my mind would go to, honestly. Well, yeah, I think he deserves a better movie, you know? But, like, it, it wasn't yeah, his problem. it didn't, like... And, you know, obviously there's things that Jackie Earl, Earl Haley didn't have control over, like the look, the makeup, the whatever. I mean, he just, you know... I don't know. Like, I wouldn't be opposed to him getting a different shot and like a reboot where it's like a whole different thing but even at this point i wonder if jackie really wants to do all that shit mm-hmm. and i don't know how realistic this guy is in terms of like affordability but i mean i guess if you're going to do a big budget version it won't matter but like the one name that i kept hearing over and over for some reason at that time that i kind of intrigued by is ben foster Billy. Oh, Ben Foster. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was just saying, like, you know, the thing about England, too, is people forget because Freddy was an older character, but he right. wasn't an old man when he started playing that right. part. He was a young guy playing an older character. And that's kind of a key, too, if you want to get a new Freddy that's going to stick around. Because I, I don't know if you remember this goat, but the other name that was like heavily rumored at the time before they cast uh, Jack Earl Haley was Billy Bob Thornton. Right. W- yeah. which, which, from an acting standpoint, I would love that, but from a yeah, pra- that makes sense. Yeah. From a practice, like practicality. I mean, is he really that much younger than England? Like, right, know? exactly. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird, but yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. I like I you know I still haven't seen it. Like, I'll probably see it here pretty soon. I'm going to try to knock Annabelle off the list first, but uh, but yeah, I, I'm I'm loving all the stories. I'm because you know, there's been a lot of hit horror movies over the years, Trev. Like the last few years. And I'm always like, yeah, Hollywood, do what you... Because I want more horror, honestly. It's like, do what you do best. Just fucking start pumping out more. And, like, you know, after the success of Conjuring and some other recent movies, like, it just... That that flood wave of new horror, just it kind of just never really happened, you know? Well, it's always... The thing is, it's always kind of there. Like, there's always a few horror movies that are big every year. Um, and I think that's, like, studios just looking at it as, like, the dependable thing. And I don't know if they're just too afraid to try and pump out more than they already do or what, but... It, I, I mean, horror never really goes away that much. I think probably the weakest time was maybe like the tail and or like the you know the middle of the '90s maybe before Scream blew it back up. Right. But but it's always it's always there simmering. Um, I don't know. It's you know I've I've seen a lot of people talking about what what it is going to do to horror, and as of yet, I'm not convinced it's going to change that much. Really, we'll see. But our studio is really going to like look to make more movies like it, or you know, are they just going to drop the ball again? Yeah, it's going it's going to be interesting and obviously, you know, making you know, the sequel to it, which is not really a sequel, it's, you know, telling the rest of the story. That's going to be a couple year process, so you know, I'm just curious what's really going to develop over the I just like I feel like maybe the 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 wrong lesson's going to be learned and all we're going to get is a new wave of Stephen King remakes. You know what's funny and I literally laughed out loud when I read it. Because I was like, are you fucking kidding me? But I read an article about, you know, oh, you know, people are... And it's like, I read that, like, you know, it really might be time to update Carrie. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, they <laughs> did, like, did, like, I mean, I know, the, to me, the remake was nothing special. But, like, they just did a remake in, like, 2013. And people have forgotten it already in four years. Mm-hmm. It's like, are you kidding me? 
If anything, I wish the lesson they learned from it being a hit is that we can still mine horror literature for stories to adapt because that was what was bothering me is, you know, there's actually been a big boom in horror literature over the last decade or so. And for some reason, studios aren't adapting those the way they used to. I mean, you know, you know, things like Rosemary's Baby and The Shining, all these classic horror films came from novels. And that's not where Hollywood looks for horror anymore. And that's really frustrating to me because there's so many great horror books out there that aren't getting picked up and adapted. And I, I would love to see that kind of come out of this, maybe. So, I don't know. We'll see. Like, I would love, I hope kind of what it can do, too. Because I love Stephen King miniseries. But obviously, a lot of them are handicapped. Some of them are great. But some of them are handicapped by TV, whatever. I would like if they started kind of doing, you know, miniseries trilogies of big screen films. You know what I mean? Like, just kind of shooting everything back to back and finding natural kind of closure points for each movie i would love to see that you know because let's mm-hmm. face it everything is designed to be a franchise now you know i think you could easily uh turn like salem's lot into a trilogy like honestly like well, well i think what is more likely to happen because that's the thing is if something now is too long to just be a traditional movie right since the miniseries is a dead format the question instead becomes can we just turn it into a tv show right so something like Sam's Lot, would they do a miniseries again? No. But would they say, hey, can we milk this for four or five seasons? That's what they would try to do. Right. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. You know, I think yeah. some of those King I think some of those King stories do have the, the potential to be told as a long form TV show. But I'm not much of a TV watcher, but because I like Stephen King bullshit, I can honestly say uh under the Dome and the Mist were not good choices for TV shows because I no. watched them both. <laughs> no. But I am intrigued by Castle Rock, by the idea of that yeah. show. Yeah, me too. But but uh, for just real to fill people in, Castle Rock is like, it's basically a show where everything from the Stephen, Uni- Stephen King universe exists, right? Am I? Yeah. Yeah. Like, they kind of did that in the Dark Tower, too, which I thought was strange. But, I mean, that, that, that thing is that world or whatever you want to call it is all about alternate realities and whatever. Right. And we still don't know, like we don't know the hook of castle rock yet. Right. You know, all we know is it's going to apparently have multiple characters from multiple King books in castle rock. But what we don't know yet is there, is there going to be a particular thing that brings them all together or is it going to be more anthology driven? So there's a lot of questions still hanging over it. And if you got a Stephen King boner out there and you want to see something to whet your appetite for castle rock, there's actually a really cool. I never really watched this show when it was on, but I, at one point in time, the show it was on Netflix, and I went and found the episode and watched it, and it was good. Was there was a Quantum Leap episode where uh, Scott Bakula meets a young Stephen King, and it's kind of cool because it's like the episode starts out with like Cujo running around, and then Christine driving around, and then like the, you know the whatever storyline they have involves a young Stephen King, so. It's got to be streaming on Hulu or Amazon or somewhere. Like, go find that shit if you got a Stephen King boner, because it's actually a, a worthwhile kind of episode to check out. Have you ever seen that, cool. Trev? I have not. No. Yeah, it was kind of good. Yeah. But yeah, so I guess that's it for the horror talk. Well, did did before we wrap up, did you want to ask me about the Synapse stuff or? Yeah, I you... yeah. I was I was gonna kind of roll into our plugs here, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, I didn't want to do it at the top of the show because I wanted to get into this awesome piece of cinema we had. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, uh, you can uh, check out our good friend Trev. If you're a big X-Men fan, you can check out Days of Future Podcasts, examining the X-Men. 
And obviously, I mean, we don't even need to go into it. There's so much shit exploding in the X-Men universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we're, we're exploding, exploding. We're even if a lot of people don't realize what are we, Trev, six months away from new mutants coming out, right? Yeah, I'm not too long. Yeah. Uh, we haven't seen anything from it yet. That's a great sign. But uh, yeah. and then Deadpool coming out a few months after that. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. the Dark Phoenix movie that nobody wants, but is happening anyways. Exactly. So yeah, there's a lot that of stuff too, on the... that's coming. I mean, plus the TV shows, two different X Men TV shows, right? Uh, yeah, one that's uh, getting a second season and one that's coming, a uh, brand new one that's starting right. up. Yep. So 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 if you want to hear about that, uh, definitely you know immerse yourself. The one thing I'm a little, you know, kind of like, you know, let down by the X-Men universe is uh, that uh, that Gambit movie really just keeps going by the wayside. And mm-hmm. I really wanted to get some more chatting Tatum <laughs> segments yeah, well, between we, you and Joe. So Joe and I are trapped in like an interesting conundrum where we want to have an opportunity to talk about Channing Tatum as much as possible. But we couldn't care less about the Gambit movie. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a push and pull, you know. But, it is. But but let, but but what I was kind of alluding to earlier, and it's a very special occasion. I, I really think Bird spent his life savings promoting on Facebook because I see the ad every single day. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, for for your your OG podcast, the thing that mm-hmm. launched you into the podcasting stratosphere uh, was a show called "If It Bleeds, We Can Kill It," and we mm-hmm. you know we talked about this show. It's a great show. It, like like no kidding. Kind of the way my job has changed over the years. I don't have nearly as much time to listen to podcasts. But the number one podcast on my list, every day when it comes out, I'm listening the next day at work is If It Bleeds, We Can Kill It. So I cannot recommend it highly. You and your... Well, I mean, there's no pressure there. We put out about eight episodes a year, so... <laughs> I guess that is true, but still, <laughs> those are, like, the best. But we just tell people real quick a little bit about, like, your very special episode that you put out a couple weeks ago and, you know, who the guest was and whatnot. Yeah, we were really lucky to, you know, we've been trying for a few years now to get some, you know, celeb guests or at least celebrities like in our world, you know, and yeah. we were lucky enough to finally sit down and get a, a nice two hour interview with Don May Jr., who is the uh, the founder and you know president of Synapse Films. Now, if you're a, a fan of 80s cinema and why wouldn't you be if you're listening to this show? Chances are good uh, that you are a fan of a lot of the films Synapse has worked with. Um, if you're just a fan of horror or odd cinema, Synapse are, of course, the, the company that put out, you know, special Blu-ray editions of films like Popcorn and Curtains. No, oh, I love the Curtains disc. It's yeah. Um, as you said, they did The Prom Night, done mm-hmm. Dolls. Um, and then, of course, a lot of the Italian stuff, the Argento films, Tenebrae, Phenomena, which I just bought their Phenomena Blu-ray and actually watched it last night. Yeah, um, and of course, they're the, you know, they're the talk of the horror world right now because of this Suspiria Blu-ray they have coming up soon, uh, where Don has spent, you know, years and so like, much I money. Think four years, yeah. And yeah. He he did a complete restoration of Suspiria, and he did it so good that well, all his rest- restorations are awesome. I mean, even Curtains is like fucking amazing. But like, mm-hmm. his restoration was so good that then people wanted to start booking his version yep. to play in theaters. Yeah. So it is, it is touring around right now. And uh, I've, so I've known Don, I've known Don for a while personally, and it just finally worked out that we had a chance to go to his home and record with him. And, and as someone who has knows Don and knows his work ethic and why these DVDs take so long, it, it always has been kind of frustrating for me to see people online kind of criticizing synapse. Like, where's the Blu-ray? Where's the Blu-ray? And all I can say is, 
The reason it takes so long is Don is a perfectionist. He's not going to put it out until it's the most amazing restoration possible. And you'll get to hear him talk about that on our episode. Um, he talks a lot about just the current state of physical media, which is not great to hear. Uh, but, you know, it's a reality lesson that probably people need to hear. He shares some stories about, you know, working with filmmakers to restore their films. His take on, you know, 4K Blu-ray and if that's actually going to do anything for the market. And then at the end of the two hours, he shares some really nice kind of heartfelt thoughts on his friend, George Romero, who was a very important person in his life. And, you know, we had just lost when we recorded that. Unfortunately, we recorded that right before Toby passed. The day before, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. So, he, um, you know, he also uh, knew Toby very well. And you'll hear him actually talk about that uh, briefly in the episode, but we hadn't heard that yet. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with how that interview turned out. Um, it was great of him to give us that kind of time. You know, I really appreciate it to sit with us for a couple hours and yeah. and just share his thoughts. And yeah, it's a, it's a really good episode, I think. It, it's it's a great episode. And you know, the reason I mean, we always let you plug your shit here, Trev. I mean, that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of your payment and plugs. But uh, yeah. but believe me, everybody, if you're listening to this show, like I think I have a pretty, especially if you're listening to this show and you're listening to a prom night two episode. I think I know the kind of movie fan you are, and we're not, you know, I'm not just saying, oh, this is my buddy Trev, this is his show, just listen to it so he can go get a download, because, I mean, you know, you, you the show, if it bleeds, you guys don't have sponsors, I mean, you know, whether you get 100 downloads or 100,000 downloads, it really doesn't matter, but I think what's really going to appeal to you guys out there is uh, some of the questions and, you know, the experience that Don May has had going all the way back to laser, he, producing laser discs and restorations mm-hmm. for laser discs. I highly recommend this Don May episode of If It Bleeds because you're going to find out a whole lot about actually how the, you know, the, uh, the, the home video business works in terms of these labels that find these older films, restore them, you know, talk to the original creators of the films, get the special features, everything. I'm telling you, you're going to learn so much and be entertained so much. And Don's such a, you know, kind of funny and fascinating guy in his own right. So please do yourself a favor. Uh, listen to me now. Believe me later. Go download the Don May episode of If Bleeds. So that's it. Uh, happy two years to, uh, you know. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, we, we've had some gaps in like when we put episodes out and we haven't put anything out in about six months. But I really hope we can at least get on a you know somewhat regular schedule of it. At the very least, I want to do one a month. You know, so during certain months when the moon lines up, maybe we can do two or three episodes like the old days. But uh, you know, I'm happy to be bringing the show back. I'm sure we'll have some more shit coming up soon. Uh, happy to be back in the podcasting game. Uh, thankful to all the people who listen to this show and uh, hopefully are still out there and want to hear more cool shit, you know, and, uh, and also too, you know, I don't know exactly when it's going to be launching, but we will have a companion show following the nineties and, you know, nineties movies and just really, uh, you know, Trev has to put up my cranky ass sometimes on Facebook, but cause he knows everything that's 20, 30, 40 years old, I like better than shit now. So my, my love for older films has not died, which means, you know, we'll, we'll be having more podcasts coming down the line. So well, one thing I'll say about the nineties though, is like, you know, as much as you joke around about that, like for the, at least the horror aspect of it, I'm a huge defender of nineties horror, which oh, a yeah. lot of people love to shit on that decade and say, it's like a terrible decade. And I actually think there's a lot of like, uh, underrated horror gems of that, of that time. 
And also, in all honesty, too, like there was a lot of actually good directed video stuff in the 90s, you know? Yeah, no, that was a good. I mean, if you're into a particular kind of film, there's, you know, a lot there that, you know, and unfortunately, not all of a lot of it's easy to find now, but. Yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, it's it's still kind of hot as balls in a lot of places and there's been a lot of terrible shit going on with hurricanes hopefully you know everybody everything will settle down and we'll you know the fall is a great time especially you know for horror fans and whatnot not that this show's all about horror but you know it, it let's be honest some of our best episodes in terms of like download numbers have always been horror so i know a lot of you horror guys are out there and you know We'll, we'll definitely be bringing you some more horror shit soon, and we'll bring bring bringing you some more Charles Bronson soon, probably, and some more weirdness soon. So, thank you guys so much. It's been an awesome two years. You know, some crazy life changing things have happened in the last couple of years for me. That you know, which really is the real reason I've kind of been away from making this. But this has been one of the funnest experiences, and I can't wait. You know, you know, in terms of podcasting for me, so I can't wait to keep the show rolling and you know have more more people join us we gotta get bird on again you gotta get some more guys on here so yeah 1980s movie graver thank you been an awesome two years let's make it two more awesome years let's make the next two years even better thank you so much everybody thank you trev for joining us and everybody thank you, thank you.